High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, guidance counselors who show up to your high school party, budding musicians, valedictorians, oh, and an extra special shout out to all of you out there who aren't really sure what you want to do. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening, but first, your junior year is still in session. And we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. I'm just starting to feel like I'm getting into the swing of things of a regular school year. Because we're going to talk about this homework, right? Did you listen on Friday to our awesome episode on Fast Times at Ridgemont High with Dan Cologne and a little splice of Christian Larson? I thought it was an awesome episode. It was a long episode, but it was informative. It was cool. Had a blast watching that film. Definitely inspired the movie we're doing today. And that's my next question in homework. Did you watch Say Anything? Because we're going to talk about it today. Another Cameron Crowe film. This is a Cameron Crowe directed film, though. He wrote it, too, just like Fast Times and Almost Famous. Well, he directed that, too. You get it. We're doing a bunch of Cameron Crowe movies, not in any kind of order, just for fun. And our guest today is the great... Everyone's favorite guest, the most popular girl in school, Kate Hudson. She's here. She loves this movie. She loves John Cusack. We're going to break it down. But before any of that, your mandatory homework every week is to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us today, whether it be Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher. And while you're there, if you haven't already, please, please give us a five-star rating, write us a nice positive review, and of course... Tell a friend about all the great things at High School Slumber Party. That's the best way you can support the show. Telling a friend, a like-minded friend, of all the fun things we're doing here, all the great movies we've been talking about, especially this junior year. It's been a hot junior year. And Say Anything is not going to disappoint. I guarantee that much. Well, you should know. You did your homework. Besides for that, also, a big part of your grade, as we know, is class participation. And you can participate on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and that's it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can email me at highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. That's highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. I feel like we haven't done these in a minute, but let's do it. Brian Rodriguez is waiting. This is High School Movie News. This is Brian Rodriguez with a Monday edition of High School 
movie news. So something I'm going to post on our social media. Tom Holland rewatched Spider-Man Homecoming, and he had all the feels. That's literally what the article says. It's actually a fun read. I love Tom Holland. I can't wait for the third one in this Spidey trilogy. I think it's going to be a high school film. We're hoping it's a high school film, and I really, really, really can't wait for it. Another fun article that I'm going to post, Cameron Crowe. Yes, the Cameron Crowe, the writer and director of Say Anything, the writer of Almost Famous, of course, and the director of that too. And of course, he wrote Fast Times at Ridgemont High and a bunch of other stuff. We bought a zoo. <clears throat> but <laughs> No, but he's a great director. He's a great writer. I don't care what the Christians or the Larsons of the world say. I like Cameron Crowe. I get that he hasn't had the best movies lately, but... I don't know. He's made some masterpieces. I think he's a shoe-in Hall of Famer when that time comes. Regardless, he actually opened his Rolling Stone Almost Famous archive and was sharing it on rollingstone.com. My goodness, this is awesome. I'm going to post that on social media as well. That's very, very cool. Some other news. The Goofy Movie Tattoo Voting, the runoff, round two, is underway. That's right. My cousin Pumpkin. He's going to get a Goofy Movie tattoo. He wanted you guys to vote. You guys voted in mass, and it was a tie. So the two tying entries are running against each other right now. That's Bobby, who's the Leaning Tower of Chisa guy. He's running against Max, dressed as Powerline. For more information on that, listen to all the episodes of Cousin Pumpkin, starting with our 100th episode on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Or just message me, and I'll give you the lowdown. You know how to find me. I already told you. Or Sorry, the other Brian already told you in the earlier segment. More news, Critical Thinking, that film came out on VOD. That's the John Leguizamo one where he's a chess teacher. I can't wait to talk about it, and I want to promise you guys we're going to deep dive with it. We're going to bring John Harden here. He's a chess expert. I really can't wait for this one. We'll try to get it by the end of the month, I promise. John, a lot's going on in his life. I wish him all the best. He's been moving. His wife is moving. Everyone's moving. And it's tough. There's nothing worse than moving. So we're going to give John a little time, but... I promise we'll get that out, like I said, before the end of the month. Another movie came out that I want to see. It's on HBO. It's called Unpregnant. I don't know. If any of you guys seen it, let me know. I'm very curious, but just want to update you with that because that movie's getting a fair amount of buzz. So if you find anything else newsworthy, please let me know. I'll include it on our next news segment. And, of course, you can hit us up on social media or email me at highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. That's highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. Oh, if I didn't say it, the votes for the Goofy Movie Tattoo, you can find those on our social media as well. This was Brian Rodriguez with High School Movie News. That Brian Rodriguez, always on top of it. Always appreciate his high school movie news. So for today, again, Say Anything. So excited to talk about this film with the great Kate Hudson. Just a reminder, she's done a ton of episodes this year. I think we're up to 11. Of course, she did episodes last year, too. So there's a great Kate Hudson archive at cageclub.me. Listen to everything she's ever done for this podcast. Read the stuff she's written on the internet. Like I said, I can't speak enough great things about her. Specifically, listen to our Twilight Forever series. She's gotten me into the world of Twilight, and I'm not going to lie, I was skeptical at the beginning, 
and now I'm into it. I can't wait to see how the series ends because that's right. I have no idea how the Twilight franchise ends. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Come on, guys. You're juniors. You know the drill by now. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. As I was saying, Twilight Forever, find it here. We're going to finish the Twilight series by the end of the year with Kate Hudson. And of course, she books herself on so many great episodes. She'll mention them today. So look out for those as well. Hashtag Hudson5. But it's time, guys. It's time to talk Say Anything. So pack your favorite jammies, tell your mother sleeping over Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. What other song could I leave you with than Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes? Class dismissed. Kate, I feel like it's been a while since we recorded. I don't know if that's the case or not. I don't know. Maybe just like so much stuff has happened. I feel the same way. Like for a while I was doing this every week. It felt like it at least. Well, we backlogged (laughs) episodes and those episodes that you recorded, like the Heavenly Kid, we recorded months ago, but that just came out a couple of weeks ago. But I'm out of episodes, so you're back. Thank you. (laughs) Glad to be of service. I appreciate it. And this is this is a very rare one for us because, A, it's not in the Hudson 5, and B, nope. you didn't book yourself. So, surprising, but exciting in the same way. Right? But before I forget, because I always forget, I don't know if you remember because it has been a while for us, not a while for most people, but... <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember how to introduce yourself here? I do. I do. But I don't know how to make it interesting because I've done this so often. I think I've already said my college mascot, my elementary school mascot. And have I done junior high mascot? I think I, I have. I think you have. I think you have. Yeah. Okay. Because I did three elementary schools. I'll do my first elementary school mascot. So my name is Kate Hudson. I'm the class of the Susitna Bobcat. No, Susitna Wolverines. Ooh. Right? Cool. Hardcore. And our oh, – shit. What else do I say? Well, you said it already. Okay. 
thought there was more. I usually drag this out for 10 minutes. That's why. Yeah. Sometimes you say a chant. I don't know if it was Wolverines let the dogs out. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. So T-birds let the dogs out. That's high school. Come on. <laughs> Elementary schools don't typically have chants because kids, like, I don't know, have dirty fingers. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of, like, school pride that way for elementary schools. You don't want to rile up a bunch of kids. They're riled up already. Right? (laughs) So we're talking Say Anything today. This came to be because I actually hit you up to maybe schedule something for another Hudson 5 film that we definitely have to do. And then I I was, like, booking a lot of stuff that day. And I'm like, oh, let me just, like, let me inquire about Say Anything And I forgot that you have a love of John Cusack. So that would make sense. And you jumped on it right away. I'm like, are you sure? You're like, yes. So here we are. We're we're doing deep love. I have to stop you. I have a deep love for John Cusack. It's not just like a surface love. Like I have for like, I don't know, Edward Cullen, our path. This is like, (laughs) this love has run for like a long time, like longer than I been alive than I haven't if that makes sense it doesn't but that's okay. <laughs> well I've always been a Cusack fan until when he blocked me from this podcast day one but again we know we know he's he does things like that but let's let's dial back the time machine and tell me oh. first what's your history with John Cusack and this film okay so my history with John Cusack is my parents raised us feral so as a result TV was my babysitter And because my parents did not enjoy whining children, we were the fancy kids, so we had the Disney Channel. And this is important because in like the late 80s, they played the journey of Natty Gann a lot, like a lot, a lot. And I was what? Natty Gann. Oh, have you not seen the journey of Natty Gann? No, I haven't. OMG. Oh my God. Okay, well, it's about this girl, Natty Gann, whose dad, I haven't seen it in a while, to be honest, whose dad like goes off to like go work in the forests and like, Oregon and she's like on the east coast and then like he gets injured and like her boarding situation sucks so basically she becomes like a kid who rides the rails to go find him across the country and like she and she befriends a wolf and a really hot like traveling like I don't know I want to call hobo but I feel like in 2020 you can't call someone a hobo (laughs) but basically he's a hobo and it's John Cusack, right? And they like have oh, this wow. connection. Yeah. And it's like, it was made in 1986. So like, he's young and cute. And I was like, seriously, like maybe six or seven years old. No, earlier than that. If I was born in 84, this was probably 89. So I was like five years old. And I'm like, I find that man visually pleasing. <laughs> and so I was obsessed with John Cusack, but also I was like a kid and I have a terrible memory. So I completely forgot what the movie was called and what his name was. So then cut to, I'm 12 years old. It's probably the summer of 1997. I just graduated sixth grade. I'm like, it's time I get my own interests. And like, I was obsessed. (laughs) Seriously. I was like obsessed with Green Day and the bands on Lookout Records. I'm like, what else do I need to get into? I'm like, oh, remember that movie when you were a kid? Let's, Let's find the name of that movie. Like side note, I'm very good at finding shit that I consumed as like a kid and like having no memories of it, but yet finding the title. So then I found The Journey of Nat again. I somehow convinced my parents to pony up like $27 to buy a used VHS copy on eBay for me. Oh, wow. That's yeah. early eBay too. That's like year like probably one or two of eBay. Nice. Yeah. It was way too expensive. <laughs> and then I'm like, this guy is really cute. For all you Cusack aficionados out there, you would know that 97 was his resurgence year as well. Because he basically like went dormant for about five years where I think while he was dealing with hardcore depression, he made a movie in 96 city hall, which is terrible. But then 97, <laughs> it's like, I'm like, I'm, I love Cusack. So 97, he had 
gross point blank, Con Air, and Anastasia. So I was in the middle of like the Cusack resurgence and I was like, this guy's really cute. So then what I do, this you weren't expecting this big long uh, story. No, I love it. Continue. <laughs> so then what I do, because this is the 90s and you can't stream anything, with your Sunday paper would come like a little paper booklet that had all the shows and the movies that were going to be on in your area that week. So I would mm. religiously scour that <laughs> in oh, order to find John Cusack movies and then set the VCR to watch them. And so this is how I saw Say Anything. And I think it was probably cut for commercials. So then all those movies were out of print. So by the way, Summer of 97 was Summer of Cusack for me, but all those movies were out of print. So then you had to go track down. And believe it or not, in 1997, there were no VHS copies of Say Anything to be found new. Wow, wow. And then to get even more hardcore for all of like the people in their 30s who remember this, like you remember how VHS would be an SPEP or SLP? SP being like the best quality of video, EP being okay, and SLP just being shit. <laughs> you remember this? Or am I like going too far? Honestly, deep? no, I know these letters. I never knew what they meant until you mentioned it right now. So thank you for educating me as well on <laughs> Of course. But the point is, is that you didn't want to get an SLP of a movie and pay like 30 bucks for it. You wanted the SP because it was just going to be like a better picture quality. So long, long, long story short, I think I eventually was able to track down a VHS copy towards like the end of summer of 97 of Say Anything. And I wore that thing down. Wow. I still remember, I'm going to steal your thunder a little bit. I still remember the tagline on the VHS tape. What was it? It was, uh, to know Diane Court is to love her. Lloyd Dobler's about to know Diane Court. Oh, that's interesting. Very different. I'm holding a Blu-ray right now and it says, I gave her my heart. She gave me a pen. Well, because a guy wrote that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was obsessed. I knew everything about Say Anything the summer of 97. Like, she was still married to the Beastie Boys guy at the time. Like, John Cusack was making all of his, like, indie movies. Like, oh, and he did Midnight of Garden of Good and Evil at the end of 97 as well. Like, this was his big year. We've already established on Podcast Canon, on the many, many, many adventures of Kate Hudson on this show, (laughs) that... You're like two or three years older than me, and you say that's a gulf of a generational gap. I'm not so convinced, but I have a similar awakening to Cusack, but mine came like three years later. Well, no, I saw Better Off Dead, which is why it was the first film I did on this podcast, when I was young, like on TV cut, and I was like obsessed with Better Off Dead. I didn't know much about him, but... Often my mother hates people I really liked as a kid, and she she hated John (gasps) Cusack. She was like, oh my God, he's so miserable. You can just tell. You can look at him. He's always depressed. He just makes me sad to look at. She didn't hate him morally, but she's not wrong, right? No, she's not wrong. (laughs) Your mom's on top of that. (laughs) But one day, I mean, to her credit, and I've talked about this on other podcasts. It's not a high school movie, but I was really sick, I think... Yeah, it was my freshman year of high school, coincidentally, and High Fidelity just got released on whatever they were doing at the time, whether it was early DVD or late VHS, I don't remember. And she's like, oh, I rented this movie for you. I heard it was good. I watched High Fidelity. I'm like, oh, my God. It was like one of the first adult things I watched, and I watched the shit out of it, and I still love High Fidelity. It's one of my favorite movies. Love the show. Unfortunately, it was canceled. Whatever. But (laughs) after that, I started to try to track down all the John Cusack things. It was really hard to find Say Anything, despite it being Mm -hmm. 
a part of the culture. Like the boombox scene was mocked in like every cartoon I watched growing up, but you just really couldn't find this movie at all. Maybe around like I eventually saw it around that time, maybe after probably like one of the first DVD releases of it. But I remember it Mm -hmm. being kind of difficult. And this was definitely a movie that my mom was like, oh, don't watch that. That's like one of the pinnacles of John Cusack's depression and you're just going to get sad. (laughs) Your mom has a weird thing about John Cusack's morose disposition. (laughs) Yeah, not as in-depth as your history, but definitely (laughs) growing up, he was one of the first actors that I saw. Like, It didn't feel like he was playing a character. It felt like he was playing himself. And... I don't know. I connected with that so much. I love him because he doesn't like he's he's a good looking guy. Don't get me wrong, but he doesn't look like a movie star. No, you're, you're absolutely right. If he was a dude at a party, maybe not now. I don't know how old he is now. I don't remember. But, you know, if he was a dude at a party he's that 52. you were at. Okay. He's 52 or 54. I forget if he's 66 or 68. Gotcha. So <laughs> if he was at a party like in the years that we were watching these films or like what it looked like, you'd be like, that's a good looking guy, right? But you would never think he was an actor or anything like that. You would just be like, oh, there's that good looking accountant that's friends with my friend Diane, you know? Like, (laughs) I just, oh God, I love him. Like, even talking about that time, like, he was honestly one of my first, I don't want to call it adult because I was 12, but like, I was thinking about this last night. Like, 1997 was like the year I like transitioned from being like a kid to being like a pre adult. My interests were getting to be set into the things I would like as a grown-up. So, like, John Cusack is just, even though he's a freak show on Twitter, I and, like, I've read a lot of stuff <laughs> about him that he's not a very nice person. I just love him. But I love almost that he's not a nice person, believe it or not, because, like, that makes sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? He seems like a troubled individual, and I don't mean to exploit that in enjoyment of his work, but... I don't know. It just makes sense to me. Like, if he was, like, this super nice, like, lovable dude, like, I don't know. I wouldn't like him as much, I guess. Uh, it's Well, when I say he's not a nice dude, like, abusive. Like, emotionally well, okay. abusive to his girlfriend. Well, I don't need that. I don't need that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not you supporting don't, that. Don't, don't read any personal anecdotes about meeting John Cusack because they are resoundingly, like, this guy's a freak show who basically tanked Nev Campbell's career for his own bullshit. <sighs> I hate to say it, though, but that makes sense. Like... You would. I, I never saw the darkness in Cusack that you're seeing, to be honest. Well, my mother warned me. That's why. <laughs> Did your mom date John Cusack? Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> you should ask her. Do the ages line up? Like, is she within the ballpark of being born uh, in 1966? He's born in 66, June 28th, okay. 1966. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, she's she's two years older than him, technically. So that not that crazy. How, like, wait, did your mom grow up in Chicago? No, no. Trust me, she did not date John Cusack. You sure? I'm pretty confident of that. Unless she dated him as, like, a teenager because, like, she had me when she was, like, 22. Unless I'm the son of John Cusack and I don't know. (gasps) That that would be a twist. Maybe it comes up at Thanksgiving dinner this year. I mean, 2020 keeps rolling on. It could happen. I'd sign up for it. (laughs) That's a cool story. But then, but he's blocked you on Twitter. So then, like, there's a whole level of pathos well, that's just like, oh, Brian. Then I'm going to go on, like, Jezebel or some website and be like, my dad blocked me on Twitter. He's John Cusack. Right about it. <laughs> I will create a site just so you can have that platform. We're waiting for it, Kate. We're waiting. It's coming. I just, I really enjoy not having deadlines every day, to be honest. <laughs> when it comes, it's so fucking weird. No one's going to like it, which will make me love it. 
Oh, we can't wait. We can't wait. <laughs> let me uh, let me read the back of the Blu-ray before we dive into Say Anything, which, surprisingly, I had. In the directorial debut of Oscar winner Cameron Crowe... Oh, sorry. Wow. Really butchered that. <laughs> well, no. Some, like, English major wrote it, and it's not very clear. <laughs> In his directorial debut, comma, Oscar winner Cameron Crowe <laughs> creates a film of warmth insight and humor and surprising originality come on this tender funny love story is one of the best teen romances of all time correct it's graduation and lloyd dobler has only one ambition to date diane court she's beautiful she's intelligent and to everyone's amazement she actually agrees to go out with lloyd at (laughs) first just friends with potential Lloyd and Diane quickly develop into something more. But when Diane, oh, sorry, but when Diane's overprotective father convinces her to end the relationship, a broken-hearted Lloyd vows to try anything, do anything, and say anything to win her back. Well, that's the entire movie. <laughs> right? yeah, but, yeah, but you know, if you're buying or gifted or something the 20th anniversary Blu-ray edition, which makes me feel old because I think this movie's 30 now, right? Yeah, 31. So this is an 11-year-old Blu-ray. Just to own an 11-year-old Blu-ray seems weird. That, by the way, I, I took out of the plastic wrap, but whatever. <laughs> Dude, I bought it when it came out in DVD when I was just out of high school. So I think the first DVD release was like 2003. So I got you beat. And I still have it. Ooh, that makes sense timelines-wise because that's when I was searching. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, honestly very classic movie it's a movie that a lot of people know i think a lot of people have seen but i don't know there's like a couple things in here that everyone talks about and but watching it this time it's almost like i forgot 80 percent of the movie which was great because it's it's, it's like seeing it for the first time i don't know why there was a couple key scenes i remembered and there was a couple key scenes where i'm like i don't remember this happening but we're gonna talk all about it first though we gotta get the uh the all the facts out of the way and all the fun stuff We've been doing a bunch of Cameron Crowe films lately just because I was like, why not? And that's pretty much why I decided to do this because just Almost Famous came up on the calendar and Fast Times at Ridgemont High for various reasons. So I'm like, we might as well do say anything. Have you read that book? By the way, I read Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I found a copy. Okay. Wow. So this is synergy. I was just talking with my guest on Fast Times. Like he's been trying to track that down for years because apparently it was out of print very fast and it's very hard to yeah. get. I got it through an interlibrary loan. He's got to go through the, the library system. Wow. But I read it probably 15, 20 years ago. No joke. Do you still have any thoughts on the book? Um, I remember it wasn't as salacious as the movie. Interesting. Like the movie was definitely like booby. Here's a blowjob with a carrot, and I don't remember any of that being in the book. That makes sense. I mean, that makes sense because uh, when we're talking about it, there was a lot of studio pressure to make it more of a sex comedy, um, but it, it did strike a balance. But this is ah, God. So we're talking eighty three, eighty four, eighty five, eighty six. My math is bad. Like seven or eight years after it. Yeah. Cameron Crowe, between say anything and Fast Times, he wrote this film called The Wildlife, which is a spiritual sequel to fast times which i've never seen but everyone says it's not very great (laughs) i haven't seen either so there must not be anybody famous in it that i like well they tried to get sean penn again but instead they have chris penn (gasps) oh i love chris penn it's supposed to be one of his better performances but it's supposed to not be it's like a mail-in job basically what happened was the producer of fast times and 
Kate, you won't be surprised by this, but the producer of Fast Times was like, oh my God, this did very well. And of course, Amy Heckerling directs Fast Times, but he's like, no, I'm going to direct the sequel myself. Yeah. Cam- <laughs> Cameron Crowe, write me something. And apparently from like reading the tea leaves, again, Cameron Crowe, if you want to attack me and say, this is what, isn't what happened, tell me. But from reading the tea leaves, Cameron Crowe was like, all right, but I kind of don't want to do this. And he wrote him something and whatever. It's like, Whatever. I, I don't know. I, I want to see it because I'm curious, but apparently it's not good. But that explains why Eric Stoltz doesn't say anything because it's probably just like, a, I'm really sorry you were in my shit movie. <laughs> Come be in my good movie. It's funny because Cameron Crowe uses Eric Stoltz a lot in like the early years, but it's, he's, he never gives him the lead. I'm, I'm sorry. I hate some kind of wonderful. So like, I don't No offense <laughs> to Eric Stoltz. Mask is awesome. But like, I think he's better as a supporting character. That's fair. That's fair. I, growing up, knew him, like you said, more from Mask, if anything. Mask is so good. I fucking love Mask. <laughs> the Rocky Dennis story. Seriously, I love Cher. I love Cher. I love Cher. Like, if you ever want to talk mermaids, you come to me, because that is one of my favorite movies, too. One of, and I might still do it, one of, like, before starting High School Slumber Party, I had done a uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman show on this network, and I was like, I want to do a solo project. Then I don't either one that's never going to end, or I want to do one that's really <laughs> short. And on the short list was a share film project because she doesn't have that much work and you'd be done within like a couple weeks. And she's great. But she's almost every movie is great. And if it's not great, it's so fucking talkable. So like, yeah. you look at her IMDb if you're listening out there and be like, wow, there are comments on every single film here. You know? Oh, yeah. You know, I saw her live a few years ago. She's oh, wow. phenomenal. Still. I. I fucking love Cher. You, like, I just love her. Still. Yeah, she's great. I mean, can't deny that. But uh, wait, how do we get... Oh, Rocky Dennis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, how do we talk talking about Cher? <laughs> but after The Wildlife, Cameron Crowe basically, you know, listen to the Almost Famous episode if you want to know his history. Rolling Stone writer, but he's like, I'm a filmmaker now. But actually, he had no desire. Well, maybe not no desire, but he didn't think he'd be directing Say Anything. They went through a list of a ton of directors... You know, some very famous ones, and either they all dropped out or they just didn't fit. And eventually, one of the you know potential directors, but really the producer, James L. Brooks, the famous James L. Brooks of like yeah. Mary Tyler Moore, Taxi, later Simpsons, Terms of Endearment, off the top of my head. He was like, dude, just direct it yourself. And Cameron Crowe was like, I've never directed before. I don't know any of the technical aspects. And he was like, oh, we'll just hire you a really good cinematographer, which is what they ended up doing. And so, you know, Cameron Crowe ends up directing it. The cinematographer, by the way, is, oh God, I know I'm going to butcher his name, but Hungarian fella, Laszlo Kovacs, who he's done so much stuff. Easy Rider is like the main example of like, basically like changing cinematography with that film. So they hired him a very seasoned hands so that he could just focus on the story. I don't want to skip over, though, one of my favorite people in film history. And (laughs) no one will ever listen to this podcast, but if someone made a podcast on this... Are you familiar with Polly Platt? Yeah. Why do I know that name? Why do I know that name? So Polly Platt... Please, that like you know when you do a Wikipedia deep dive and you're like, oh my god! Oh, she's the mom and say anything. That's why she I know the plays name. the mom. Yes, a horrible and mom. If you think that it's like front, like that's like her one thing. This is like that was like a cameo role just to thank her. Polly Platt has had the hand in so many careers. Unfortunately, she passed away in 2011. But I first learned about her on this podcast because she was first like an Oscar 
nominated, and I think winning production designer, married to Peter Bogdanovich. And that creep. Yes. So Peter Bogdanovich and her were like this awesome team. Then they did The Last Picture Show, which is a great film. That's how I know her. I saw that movie and I hated it. Oh, I mean, I think it's great. But she was like cast Sybil Shepherd, And literally like on set, he leaves her for Sybil Shepherd, And his career has never been the same. Everyone knows him. Whatever. Peter Bogdanovich, look up that story. He's a creep because he was uh, dating Dorothy Stratton when she died and then like moved in with her mom and married her sister, who was like very young. He's a creep. Yeah. That's a Wikipedia article. That's an interesting read, too. Uh, but she would, <laughs> she would go on to do just amazing things. She is kind of like the Midas touch with people. She's one of the people who kind of discovered... Uh, and I mean, I know Cameron Crowe was writing for Rolling Stone, but she really backed him early on. She's the lead producer for this film, but she also like worked hand in hand with James L. Brooks on a lot of his stuff. She discovered Sybil Shepard, Tatum O'Neill. She introduced James L. Brooks to Matt Groening, which started The Simpsons. Yeah. And, you know, maybe younger fans of the show, like, she's the original, like, Hollywood proponent of Wes Anderson. She uh, got him in the business, along with the Wilson brothers, basically like, oh, back this guy. So her legacy goes from, like, the early 70s, late 60s, really, early 70s, all the way till the films of today, which is, like, this Midas touch. And I don't think enough people, like, know about her. Uh, so, guys out there, a little extra credit homework. Look up Polly Platt. Read about her. I think someone actually did a podcast on her, now that I look through my notes. Just a, a tremendous career. And, yeah, she's the lead producer on this film. And she's also in the film as, uh, what's her name's mom? She's Corey's mom, not not Diane's mom. Diane's oh. mom is a horrible mom. Corey's mom is one she's like, please don't let her talk to Joe at the party tonight. Okay, okay. That makes more sense, because it's, like, less of a role. Okay. So, she's in this film. <laughs> Point is. But, yeah. Def- I wanted to mention her because whenever I see her name, I'm like, what a story. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> so in terms of production, Cameron Crowe was such a novice at this point. He had been on sets, but <laughs> he famously, because I have the Blu-ray and has like a interview with him and some trivia stuff. The first scene was uh, playing Cocoon. The first scene they shot was playing Coc- yeah, yeah, yeah. Cocoon at the uh, old folks home. Old folks home. Mm-hmm. And... He thought he got it, like, in the first take, in the first shot. So, literally, he was like, and cut. Okay, next next scene. And everyone was looking around at him like, what the hell are you doing, bro? Like, this is Hollywood. You you know, you got to do, like, a ton of takes. Um, and I think I could only imagine a John Cusack was very uncomfortable to work with him. And <laughs> it turns out that that was indeed the case. Like, upon doing some research... They saw a bunch of people for the role of Lloyd yeah. Gobbler. A bunch of people. Like, he didn't want to do this one because he was sick of the high school roles. At exactly. This point. He'd already started doing non-high school movies. You look at like IMDb. And, tape like, heads. Yeah. yeah, because if you saw, they have a, a, a marquee for tape heads when he's driving around after she breaks up with him. <laughs> That's crazy. I didn't realize that. But, oh, I'm a, I like tape heads. It's fucking weird. Also, like I think Eight Man Out is before this. Mm, it is. It is. He's probably Fat Man and Little Boys this year. Yeah, around that time, right? So he's not like he, you know, famously we talked about him Better Off Dead. Like hated playing these high schoolers. It just he just was not a fan of it. So Cameron Crowe, after like apparently auditioning Christian Slater, Peter Berg, nope. which, whatever, nope, would have yeah, been bad. Come on. Both of them would have been bad. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., which interesting. Probably the best of that list, but I don't know. And Kirk Cameron, which, thank God. Oh! <laughs> he saw John Cusack, and 
he was like, this is the guy I want. He actually ended up having to go to Chicago and be like, Cusack, be in my movie. And he hung out with John Cusack and his friends for like a week just drinking beers. And you'll notice a lot of John Cusack's friends are in this film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the... People he grew up with, a lot of that. And it wasn't outright said by Cameron Crowe, but you could tell there were concessions made to get Cusack in this film. Oh, I'm sure. Well, I mean... <sighs> He's he's ours is a troubled prince. Let's just say before <laughs> before all the uh, the nineties excess got to him and he started making blockbusters. I don't even think he went on like the Tonight Show until like the mid nineties, like wow. ninety seven. His comeback. I don't think he did that. <laughs> I love it, and he comes from yeah this this like famed Chicago theater scene where they take everything seriously. Either I read it in a book about Friends or a Friends podcast, like. David Schwimmer came from the scene, and that's why he originally did not want to sign up for shit like Friends. The people in the Chicago scene, it was like, no, you know, do theater. Don't go Hollywood. That's bad. And yeah. high school films were just completely against anything you would do in Hollywood anyway. But that's how he became friends with Jeremy Piven, because yes. he went to Jeremy Piven's parents' theater school. Exactly. So Piven's in this film because of it, but also like all those gas station guys are just people from that theater school he was, who he was just friends with, who Cameron Crowe basically drank with for a week to convince them to do the film. And then who you'll see, a lot of those guys come back for um, Gross Point Blank. Yeah. There are certain Cusack films that have so much of his footprint, Gross Point Blank, High Fidelity, Say Anything, where it's just... Yeah, I mean, you see the same guys because they're his buddies and whatever. And and again, Joan Cusack, too, is in this film. Big right. big role here. It's his sister. And we've seen her a lot on this podcast, along with him in these little background teen film roles. So it was good. To, I like Joan Cusack. Do you think that John Mahoney, who was in Eight Men Out with him the year before, being cast in Say Anything was like a big... Because he's a Chicago guy. Do you think that that was one of the concessions or do you think he had already signed on? And that's one of the reasons why Cusack no. did it. Huge deal, actually. That was going to be my next point. Oh, John... I keep stealing your thunder. No, good. This is, we got good banter now. We have chemistry. This is perfect. <laughs> I should be like, thank you for asking, Kate. Well, actually, <laughs> no, but 100%. When they signed John Mahoney and maybe some Hollywood producer be like, was like, dude, they all look up to this guy. Uh, he was just an eight man out with him. But when they signed John Mahoney, Cusack was like, oh, I'm in. Like they were talking to Cusack. They signed Mahoney. After that, because Mah- John Mahoney is a god to people in, like, the Piven Playhouse workshop. Like, he is just a legend there. I think he's originally born in England, but he, like, made his bones on the Chicago, like, theater scene. And if he's in something, like, John Cusack apparently was salivating on being able to do, like, one-to-one scenes with him. Because I know they're an eight-man out together, but I don't know how much time they get just one-on-one. I can't remember. I haven't seen that movie yeah, in like probably I've, 20 years. Same, same. So I doubt it though, right? Like that's not, it's not like their movie. It's like a group movie. Like it's all, yeah. So. Yeah. So in this, like you had the right instinct there. A hundred percent. Once John Mahoney's here, he's like, all right, I'm game. Let's do this. You're going to have to still bring my friends in. I think. <laughs> he's such a dick. <laughs> Again, that has never been said. And I know Cusack will double block me if he hears this. That's not how it happened. He'll unblock you just to block you again. Maybe, maybe, but I think we can read between the lines here. We're not stupid, right? Like, (laughs) yeah. No, I mean, can we talk about my favorite like person who's in this, but who isn't a thing, but who is kind of a thing? Sure, we'll go. We'll go there next. Barbara Streisand's kid. Oh, okay. I did want to talk about him. 
What's his name? I, Gould. I think, yeah, Jason Gould. No offense to him. It doesn't even matter. But it's like his one film role where he's just the guy with the bad hair that they drive around all night. I've I've always been obsessed with that. And I look him up occasionally because of that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's done much, right? I just, no, he's like a musician artist now. I've looked him up before because of my like low-key friends fandom because he's also Elliot Gould's son. He's the son of Ellie yeah, yeah, yeah. and Barbara Streisand. So, like, I was somewhat familiar with him. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's so random. But he's actually great in this. I love in these high school movies when we get, like, little side characters like this. And I love Oh, him. yeah. I think, well, I, I look him up because I'm obsessed with uh, Barbara Streisand's mall in the, bot- in the basement of her house. That's why I occasionally look him up. So two different reasons, but the same outcome. But, no, I, 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 love, I love this movie for everybody having their own personality and being fully fleshed out, even if they're only there for, like, a few like a few minutes. But I do have a bone to pick with you. You rolled your eyes and were like, oh, the first of its kind. But I think this movie is the first of its kind. Like, a lot of tropes originate with Say Anything. Like book smart stole from say anything when it had the teacher come to the end of the year party. I did want to discuss that. No, absolutely. I don't know. We're talking audioly, if that's a word. So I don't know how I rolled my eyes, but it sounded like you were rolling your eyes. Like that's a bit much when you said it. Maybe, maybe I did. I don't know. Maybe it was instinct in the moment, but I think it did. I mean, <laughs> you're not wrong about that. There's a lot of influence here on other films. Yeah, and that's one of them. The teacher. It's a creep. It's creepy. <laughs> the teacher, of course, played by BB uh, Newworth. BB Newworth, who yeah. I love, who I'm a big fan of. Being a, everybody, a, a everybody fan loves of. her. Like, who would hate BB Newworth? I will fight you if you hate her. <laughs> Two people in the Frasier universe in this film, right? It takes place in Seattle. Weird connections that no one who listens to High School Slumber Party cares about, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hated that show. When I was on the air. All eleven years. Right, I remember having a okay. I remember having my own personal tripod website in 1997, where I Ooh. talked about John Cusack, and I think I even said because like back in that those days, you'd have like your likes and dislikes, and so <laughs> my dislikes. I remember I put Fraser, and I'm like, no one cares about your uh, tossed at salad and scrambled <laughs> eggs, dude. Ooh, good cut, deep. Right. <laughs> By the way, does that website still exist? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> I want, I want to track I'm that really, I really hope not. I hope Tripod scrubbed everything. <laughs> I'd love to get a hold of that. That'd be great. Oh, my God. <laughs> I would not. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, let's see. This cast. Oh, we can't forget our second lead here, Ioni Sky. Is it Ioni? I think it's Ioni. Ioni Sky as Diane Court. I'll never forget the names Lloyd Dobler and Diane Court. I don't know why. I fucking hate Diane Court. We'll have to get into it later, but I cannot stand her. But not Ioni Scott. No, she's fine. I mean, I don't really have an opinion on her other than she must be cool if she was married to a beastie boy. Her dating history is amazing. She was with Anthony Kiedis for most of the 80s. Yup. And then apparently, according to Cameron Crowe on this, I don't know who she was with at the time, but her and John Cusack were like, I don't know if they became a thing, but there was a lot of tension on set. And John Cusack, or sorry, I think she's since confirmed that they have like a they had like a little bit of a thing while filming this. She's his type, so I could see that. <laughs> but yeah, and then he has to compete basically with every musician ever. Like you're right, she married Ad Rock from the Beastie Boys, and now she's married to uh, Ben Lee, another musician. So that's her wasn't type. He, wasn't he married to Claire Danes for a while? Oh my God, you're right. He was. Whoa, this connection. I love it. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> or at least they were Listen, going out. No, they had a kid. Okay. Well, well. I'm pretty sure they had a bibis. 
the connections here. I want to go to these parties. Right? Like, that was the thing. It's like, how did the, all these beautiful people, like, you know, marry each other? It's like, oh, because I don't hang out with beautiful people, so I never get to meet the beautiful people <laughs> to marry the beautiful people. <laughs> no, my friends are beautiful. I want to – so I just say, stepped in it. Taking a shot at your friends here. What's What's up with that? No, I mean, it's just like – I guess I'm not really friends with beautiful men. Let's just put it that way. My life's not good enough because you're not pretty enough. Right? I'm such a piece of shit. <laughs> no, men. We'll, we'll blame the men. That's fine. The men in Kate Hudson's life, step your look game up. Well, it doesn't help that most of my male friends are gay or weirdos. <laughs> my straight male friends would admit they're weirdos, so that's that's not a dig. All right. Oh, everyone's here. You've sufficiently, you've sufficiently cleaned. Shit on everybody. <laughs> shit, shit on everyone who cares about me. <laughs> um, let's see. Just going through the cast quickly of who we haven't mentioned. Uh, oh, the Heathers girls. The Heathers girls. Who's that? The two Heathers from Heathers. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I forgot about that. <laughs> it's Heather McNamara and Heather Chandler. Which one is which? Let me see. Heather McNamara was the girl who was like, can you sign my yearbook yes. after Diane Court is a fucking drip and calls her dad at the fucking party. And then Heather Chandler is the number two who's like, you got me into Cornell. Lizanne Falk is Heather Chandler. And Pel- no, no, no. Lizanne Falk is Heather McNamara. Oh, sorry. Heather McNamara. Kim Walker is Heather Chandler. I was looking up their Who names. died of a brain tumor. Yeah. That I was obsessed with Heather's, by the way. Like, summer of 97 was also my Heather summer. So I, I have, I know a lot about these two movies. Fair, fair. It just, <laughs> that's not who I was thinking of next. But you're right. They are both in Heather's. I didn't make that connection, but you're totally right. <laughs> like I said, I was obsessed. I was going to mention, though, Lily Taylor as <gasps> Corey, who I've always really liked. She, she'll come back in another Cusack joint, as I said, High Fidelity. But she's in a bunch of stuff. She was cool as shit. She's also kind of a horrible friend, but she's cool as shit in this movie. Yeah, I liked her. I don't get when people complain that friends are horrible in movies because sometimes friends are horrible. You know, so yeah. there's this whole thing now where it's like, oh, but she was a bad friend. That's not a good depiction of what a friend should be. That's not why I watch movies. Right? Like, I thought that they did a good job of just being controlling girlfriends who thought that Lloyd was, like, could barely put his, like, shoelaces together in the morning. Yeah. I mean, I thought they did great. You know, I know her also from Mystic Pizza and just a bunch of yes! stuff. Yes! Yes! I love Mystic Pizza. So China Phillips plays Joe's boyfriend, a girlfriend, and at the party, too. She of Wilson Phillips fame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have, there's so many, I read something that there's, like, a double-digit list of people who have famous parents in this movie. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. And uh, China Phillips, of course, Wilson Phillips, and just a lot of musical connections here, because obviously Cameron Crowe's musical connections. So, I don't know. Another connection there, perhaps. Didn't Nancy, what's-his-face Nancy Wilson, do a lot of the music for this movie? His wife at the time? Oh, yeah. She did almost all the music for his films early on. And she didn't do everything for this movie, but... She has, like, one of the lead songs on the soundtrack. She does some of the music. They're, they do have a... I don't want to discredit whoever did the score as well. They have someone else doing that as well. But she's so involved in his early filmmaking. I'm not going to call it a uh, you know Peter Bogdanovich situation because they're no longer together. But, the <laughs> like, the films that she was with him with are so much better than the films she wasn't with him with. I'll just put it that way. He has not made a good movie since Almost Famous. I'll say it. I, I can't argue that. You know, <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to argue that. You can't put up. I mean, maybe people like We Bought a Zoo. I don't know. 
<laughs> who likes Weebot? Like, come on, that, that's not even Matt Damon firing at all cylinders. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, certainly, again, this is more, it's his first film, but it's, this is more Cameron Crowe prime here. But yeah, she's super involved. Um, we mentioned Jeremy Piven. We mentioned Eric Stoltz. I think we pretty much got everyone, unless there's someone else you want to mention who we didn't I talk about. I thought that... I think his like one like his producing partner might have been one of the buddies there. He later shows up in Girls Point Blank. I'm pretty sure it was either Steve Pink. I think it was Steve Pink is in this too. I could be making that up though. Let me see. The curly blonde dude. It looks like one of his buddies. Although I'm not seeing him on IMDb, so maybe I'm making that up. No, but the, I know like Steve Pink is in so much of his stuff. That would have been the case. I would have been like, oh, okay, that makes total sense. <laughs> right. It looks like Steve Pink, that blonde guy. Who sits like with the AMPM guys? Like I, yeah. I could have sworn that was Steve Pink. I do love that scene just because a little asshole at the end is like bitches, man. <laughs> like he's twelve <laughs> years old. Fucking love that part. Lloyd, man, no babe is worth it. No, no. Listen, hang with us, man. We'll teach you Bibles for right, the truth. Right. Lloyd, man, you can't even trust them, man, because right, you know what's man. about? They spend your money and they tell their friends everything, everything. man. It's about economics. That's valid, man. They tell them everything, That's man. Valid. All you got to do is find a girl who looks just like her, yeah. nail well, her, and then right. dump her, man. Dump her, Get her off your Lloyd mind. Right. Your only mistake is that you didn't dump her first. What? Diane Court is a show pony. I you need a stallion, my friend. <laughs> walk with us and you walk tall. Walk tall, my man. Bitches, man. That is a great scene. Again, that's like the, apparently that was like Cameron Crowe's nod to his week in Chicago spent drinking with the guys. <laughs> that makes sense. They're terrible people. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't like Jeremy Piven also not like the greatest guy in the world? No, the but they, but okay, but they, like those two ones anymore because basically once Jeremy Piven, they like, got his own deal with Entourage, he got too big for his britches. Remember the whole mercury poisoning shit? Oh, yeah. So then. So then he's like, I don't need you anymore, Cusack. And I was like, you kind of do need Cusack. You're not a leading man. He's like, no, fuck you. I'm a leading man. And like, where is Jeremy Pivot now? It's amazing that I don't know if we feel or we know, but it's like, it feels like we know a lot about these guys' personal lives. Or, or just how they are in real life. But totally, right? Like, maybe they're friends again. I don't know. John no, Cusack. <laughs> they're never going to be friends again. <laughs> he's been appearing. Uh, John Cusack, that is, is, has been appearing a lot more at like, conventions and comic-con like stuff he needs the money he's like cusack's leading man days are over oh man don't tell me that not to be a dick but like if everyone like who works with you is like oh this guy's difficult but at a certain point when you're no longer bringing in the butts to the seats in the theaters you're not worth it ah tortured tortured man right and like if you have a string of like failed relationships where everyone's like fuck that guy he was abusive like at a certain point you start to run out of options but your lifestyle it's not like you want to go like downsize your lifestyle that dude lives in malibu like he's just like (laughs) he's kind of laying in the bed he made for himself isn't he i mean can't argue with that right can't argue with it (laughs) Like, for the longest time, I read, like, again, I was super into Cusack. The only movie you could talk to him about was Gross Point Blank. If you tried to bring up the 80s stuff, he'd be like, ugh, that's so long ago. But he only wanted to talk about his, right? Oh, did you try to talk to him about the 80s stuff? Again, the first film I did was Better Off Dead, so I literally just uh, tweeted him, like, hey, John Cusack, why won't you talk about Better Off Dead? Blocked. Oh, you had that coming. He, like, notoriously, oh. He only started liking those, well, talking well about Savage Steve Holland, like, in the past, like, five years, tops. 
And he still fucking hates I those. think in the past year, because when we first did the episode, he was still, like, not talking about it. But recently, he's been saying a lot of... And he's been doing, like... Uh, he did a, an event with Diane Franklin, like, a year ago in Chicago. He's been acknowledging his 80s career now, but... Like you said, it might be just about the money. Maybe he's coming to terms with the person he is. I like to think it's that. I like to think he's like, you know what? I was an asshole. Let me appreciate things in the past because people love it. Yeah, I just remember reading about this in the 90s. He's like, I'm never going to work with him again. And Savage Sheet Holland was like, I tried my best with this guy, but he just wasn't good enough. <laughs> oh, man. So mean. I mean. Her movies are classic. We've done both of them. One Crazy Summer is amazing. We love them here. This is They're like, you know, I love them. I say we. like. I hope the listeners love them too. But <laughs> I love them. We've done both of them here. So I don't know. R- regardless, we're big John Cusack fans here. We're big Savage Steve Holland fans here. I don't think we've done like a real Jeremy Piven film. Uh, <laughs> but whatever. He can go to the side. But yeah, John Cusack, come back to us, baby. Come back. John Cusack's great. Jeremy Piven is like a seasoning in a dish. You can't eat the seasoning. <laughs> and I will go to my grave talking shit about Piven because look, Cusack is a troubled man, yes, and he's someone you have to separate the art from the person in order to enjoy it. And like, maybe he has made amends, and I hope so because I love him. But fuck you, Jeremy Piven. You're not better than Cusack. You need him. He doesn't need you. Maybe uh, he'll pull a Charlie Talbert, Jeremy Piven, listen to this episode. Yeah, I was about to say, please don't tweet Jeremy Piven. (laughs) Please don't. Because I talk shit about about these people sometimes. I'm like, oh, John Cryer. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I just don't like his screen presence. (laughs) We have the Hudson Five. There also needs to be like a a Hudson-like burn book. (laughs) so bad. (laughs) John Cryer, Jeremy Piven. Like... Yeah, there's you'll you'll like stumble into people I hate. You'll stumble into people I like love for no reason. It's, it's, <laughs> Frank Whaley, I fucking love Frank Whaley. I can't tell you why. That is so random. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, he's cool. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Like... Don't you dare talk shit about career opportunities and that one scene he had in Red Dragon and he was in Hustlers. He's a piece of shit in Hustlers. But I was like, oh, Frank Whaley, you're still working. Good for you. <laughs> oh, man. Frank Whaley. I don't know how we got there, but he's on the good list, right? He's on the good I fucking list. love him. <laughs> but we should really talk about Say Anything at this point. Yes. So uh, I assume you're a fan. Um... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What are some of your favorite moments here? You know, we open up kind of with... I consider this still a teen movie. It's the summer after graduation. Like, fuck you out there if you don't think that this counts. It still counts. It's still at a key key point in their lives. We start kind of around, like, graduation time. Lloyd Dobler famously not wearing his graduation cap. That was a John Cusack choice, apparently. He thought, I love he thought it would add a difference uh, to the role. I guess, what do you think of this whole, these scenes early on? Like, I know you don't like her, but her speech at graduation and stuff. Ugh, her speech was so lame. <laughs> My favorite part at the beginning is like the opening line, I'm going to take out Diane Court again. It's like, but you never went out with her to begin with. <laughs> like, I love that. He's such an optimist. Like, I love the optimistic part of Lloyd Doppler where he's just like, I'm just fucking go for it. And then when he's like, I want to get hurt. And they're like, she's going to hurt you. I, I love Lloyd because he is brave in a way that most men I've dated are not. And I love that about him. 
There's a lot of scholarship online about Lloyd Dobler. Like uh, for years, he was called, oh, yeah. he was called an underachiever, which honestly maybe, but I don't think that's fair. Like the dude's eight, no, eighteen, right? Like, and he's nineteen. Nineteen, no, he's sorry, 19. nineteen. If you're labeled an underachiever at nineteen, I feel like shit about my life. You know, <laughs> like that's come yeah. on. Well, I think they call him an underachiever because, frankly, he sort of, like, rebukes standard masculinity. Like, he doesn't want to go out and be a money earner. He doesn't want to go out and, like, take on the world. He wants to love the girl he's with and, like, pursue his interests. Like, that's noble, in my opinion. And actually, that was going to be the next thing that's been, like, permeating on the internet, like, the last couple years. Just, like, the feminist reading of this film and the Lloyd Dobler character. Um, is this something you buy into? Like just Oh yeah. I, oh yeah. So okay, I actually sent you this article. This guy from Washington Post. Mm-hmm. So way before like social media where any asshole could just voice their opinion at any time and strangers could chime in and be like, Yeah, I agree with you. Um, you had to like wait for discourse to come up in order to engage with it. And so there's this guy at the Washington Post, Hank Stuver, however you say his last name, who over the course of two Valentine's Days wrote two articles. The first one was about Jake Ryan, about how he is, to a certain subset of women, he is the ideal boyfriend. And then the next year was, uh, Jake Ryan doesn't hold a candle to Lloyd Dobler. So like, those were your two sort of like Gen X iconic boyfriends that you sort of were one side or the other. To be honest, I'm a Jake Ryan girl just because he is smoking hot, even though I love John Cusack. But I think that there's something really to the idea that, like, this man is held up as, like, being the ideal boyfriend when he's just courteous and considerate and, like, just wants to be around you and doesn't want anything from you. Like, that's revolutionary even in 2020. A hundred percent. And, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you brought up the article because what was his name? Hank Stuver? I think that's how I pronounce his last name. Now, whether that's how he pronounces his last name is another. Fair. Very ahead of his time, even though it's like 2006, we don't usually say that, but this article, I don't want to say it's copied, but I think people have come to this realization, like I said, in the last couple years, but this guy was talking about it in 2006, so, you know. Okay, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you back on that a little bit, because I think it's men have come to this conclusion. Women have always, like, sort of held these dichotomies. Maybe, maybe, but if you... If you look at, like, the perception, because we've done 16 Candles on here, like, the whole Jake Ryan versus Lloyd Dobler thing, which I love the idea that people think this way, but Jake Ryan probably would have won this thing, hotness aside, just for everything about him, like, the last, you know, maybe 20 years, right? But, like, lately, I think the pendulum has switched. There's a lot of Jake Ryan hate these days. Um, and oh, because the whole sexual assault thing in the movie. <laughs> I was going to say, there are reasons why. There are pretty big <laughs> reasons why. But <laughs> the Lloyd Dobler, it's just so interesting to me. And it's so uh, true. And I read the article before the rewatch of the movie. So maybe I was watching with kind of a different lens. But I think I think it's so accurate. Oh, yeah. But I, I guess my point is, I think it was always there for women. Like, maybe the discourse around it wasn't there, but you watch mm. this and you're like, oh, this is how a guy should treat you. So I think it's just men discovering that this is what women want is the sort of revolutionary thing. But yeah, you can watch sense. Say Anything you can watch Say Anything in 2020 and there's nothing really problematic about it other than like the boombox scene, really. Yeah, like, yeah, and we'll definitely talk about that, of course. <laughs> iconic scene. Yeah, and just occasional language here and there. That's, but it's not bad. There's so much so much no 
like he like just unconditionally loves her, respects her boundaries, doesn't push her into anything, and is just there for support. Like that is that's the perfect boyfriend. And he just happens to look like John Cusack. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> It's, it's it's like oh I love Lloyd Dodd. Listen, I'm a Jake Ryan girl just because I'm a Jake Ryan girl, but I do love Lloyd Dobler. You don't think that he's a little bit just playing devil's advocate here. I love Lloyd Dobler too, but you don't think he's a little bit pushy at the beginning? Like I I want to see you every day before you leave. No, I don't think so because like he's telling her how much he likes her. No, because he would have accepted no. Well, maybe he wouldn't have accepted no for an answer, but. <laughs> She's into it. You know what I mean? Fair, fair. Like, he's a little pushy to get the date, but at the same time, like, she was being an asshole. I just don't like Diane Court, to be honest, too. <laughs> she's she's so up her own ass, and, like, she says the wrong thing constantly. She's way too into her dad, and she's so uptight. It's a weird family dynamic, <laughs> that's for sure. We learn a lot about her. She is incredibly... You know, uh, uptight, if that's you want to take it as negative, positive, whatever. She's the valedictorian. She makes this speech. She she has this uh, fellowship in England. Uh, this is the first time I watched this and really picked up on the fact that, like, Lloyd Dobler, he's a traveler himself, right? Yeah, he's a military brat. Yeah, and, like, he's taking his time. Um, I read this dumb article that was like, oh... They never talk about the parents in this film. Where are the parents? I'm like, yes, they do. Yeah, at least his the parents di- are in Germany. The parents are stationed in Germany. He wanted to finish out his senior year because he's already a super senior with his sister in America. Pretty simple, right? Like, and I, I noticed for the first time that he has his dad's military trunk as his nightstand mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. So there's a lot of like depth in terms of these characters here. There's not like when you know in a lot of these movies we're like, how did this happen or why is this the way it is. Uh, so he lives with his sister now. Constance, because his parents gave them both terrible names. Constance, yes, Constance and Lloyd. <laughs> no offense to the Constance and Lloyds out there. It's the combination that is just like, yikes. <laughs> Do you remember what the little kid was called? I forgot. Oh, I wish I knew. No, because he calls him Little Man. That's why. Yeah, maybe he doesn't even have. I know he has a name, but you know what I mean? Maybe they don't even I'm name sure him. he has a name. It's Jason. Okay. So Constance was like, I fucking hate my name. I'm going to give my kid a typical 80s name. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what a like what a 1989 name, Jason. But it's better than right? Constance and Lloyd, that's for sure. Yeah, so for he, real. He's he plays the cool uncle, which Constance isn't happy with, but I'm like Constance, you're getting free childcare from a good dude. Relax. But also, like that good dude is 19, and she's a single mom in 1989, and she's like a dental hygienist. I think like she's fucking tired all the time. Good point. Good point. T I M left her. Fuck that guy. Fuck Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and this movie kicks off pretty fast in terms of like what it's about. Like you said, first line is what he wants to do: ask out uh, Diane. Right. Again, again, that's my favorite line. <laughs> so it won you over fast. Uh, I just, I was predispositioned to love this movie because of John Cusack playing a romantic lead. Fair, fair. <laughs> and, you know, he does, and she she agrees, but I don't know. I think it's the end of her senior year. She's looking for fun, but she definitely doesn't have the biggest expectations. Uh, what do you think of the whole, well, I, I, you've kind of made it clear what you think of the dynamic with her and her father and i agree a little bit weird she ended up picking him in like the divorce like a couple years before that right because i think that he's probably like emotionally abusive or at least manipulative and like 
the mom is just checked out as fuck. It's a weird dynamic, but what creeps me out the most about them is she loses her virginity and she tells her dad. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, that is the most cringiest scene of the movie. Right? And then he's like, did he ever get rough? I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, you people. Like, it's nope. like six. Nope. Yeah, go to bed. Go to bed and have this conversation. It's like she just has this weird compulsion to overshare what she's thinking and I and the reason why I don't like it and I don't like hers I think it stems from this belief that the dad reiterates that she's special so her thoughts are more valid and better than anyone else's and like she keeps calling Lloyd basic and like tell her like telling him that she's like that he's a complication and that she's not actually thinking about being like in the moment with him when she's with him it's she's just she does her best to push him away and I it's just like you got a unicorn there lady like, come on. And you always say how Bella in Twilight is special, but this girl is treated by her dad oh. like everything, sweetie, honey. But he's not, he's also not like whipped. He's controlling. Super. He controls her through the gifts and can, through, like, he wouldn't even tell her the good news over the phone. Like, he easily could have, like, when she got the fellowship, which, by the way, if this bitch was that great, why the hell didn't she already have plans to go to college? Like, she had just graduated, right? Like, oh, now it's the fellowship. So she ain't that special. But also, <laughs> like, he has to drive and, like, go tell her and, like, make her think something's bad. Make everybody leave the room just to tell her this one thing. It's weird. It's very weird. But that's, again, it's the it's the control he has. And clearly he's a controlling, manipulative person. He's he's manipulated, I mean, spoiler alert, everyone, but he's manipulated the uh, old, people at the old folks' home for years, apparently. He manipulated his taxes, and that's how he ended up in jail. Yeah, like he's not, you know, the, there's such a facade with him. And I, I think John Mahoney's great because I think this is kind of a tangent, but there was a side note by Cam and Crow that the biggest criticism the studio had in making this is that they did not like that the father ends up being a criminal. They just wanted him to be a nice but disapproving man. And Cameron Crowe was like, I don't want to make that story. I want to make something where it's like that this girl has like an, you know, love for her father and she thinks he can do no wrong. And in the end, she finds out he's kind of a dirtbag and she has to process that. And you can't say that he didn't achieve that. Correct. Although I would say that you don't really see her processing this because this movie is kind of told from Lloyd's perspective instead of hers. Fair. I mean, no, you're right about that. I, I think, and maybe that's a, a Cusack call too. I'm not sure if like <laughs> <laughs> how close to the screenplay this was, but yeah, it is definitely told from Lloyd's perspective here. So early on, basically, when Lloyd gets the green light to go ask her out for a date, I love the scene where he shows up at her house and he's just like regurgitating all this stuff to her dad. Right. <laughs> Let me see, like, some of the stuff he said. Does he say kickboxing, sport of the yes, future? Yes, That one? I love that. I used to repeat that line all the time. <laughs> he, he's obsessed with kickboxing here, and I didn't realize that kickboxing, like, wasn't that big of a deal, I guess, back then. It became after this movie, man. <laughs> John Cusack invented kickboxing. He was really into kickboxing during that. I'm sure that was a, a Cameron Crowe concession, because then he, like, fights his kickboxing instructor in Gross Point Blank. Yeah, no, it's true. And that was actually his instructor, I think, in both films at the time. Um, and there were real kickboxing fights in this film. Uh, say anything. <laughs> can, you, can you 
imagine having John Cusack come to you when you've written this like really cute, gentle script. He's like, you need to put in kickboxing. Make it work. <laughs> I know it's Cameron Crowe and he's got a name now. And, you know, he would do like, obviously singles and then Jerry Maguire, then Almost Famous and then whatever after that. <laughs> But this is first-time director Cameron Crowe, and if you didn't pick up a Rolling Stone magazine in 1973 or 1974 or whatever, you probably don't know who he is. John Cusack must have been, like, licking his chops. Like, the guy doesn't even know where to put the camera. Uh, by his own admission, John Cusack, I, I can only imagine, was just like, let's 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 roll with this here. Okay, you're going to catch Yeah, let's just friends. fuck with him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, let's just see how much weird shit. And you can imagine he's, like, sitting there chain smoking because he's a smoker, like, drinking all his beers. And his buddies are just like, yo, John, they can put in kickboxing. Like, yeah, man, <laughs> you got to put in kickboxing now. <laughs> I could see Cameron Crowe like, okay, so, John, you're in the band with your friends. You play the bass in the band. He's like, no, my hobby's going to be kickboxing. They're all into yeah. music. I'm going to be kickboxing. All right. <laughs> into it there's something kind of amazing about him being such a like a bro and in the movie his only friends are chicks like it's kind of like yeah literally and anytime he talks to guys but i actually like liked that part of it in terms of like because anytime he talks to guys most of the guys in this movie are terrible oh they're horrible which is fine which is kind of great like he's the knight in shining armor guy character but he's so different than any other guy we're getting at this point in any film at least a teen film and you know, go back to the gas station scene with his literal friends. Those are like terrible human beings. That's definitely things guys at the time, young guys at the time, were saying to each other. Still, they're still talking like this today. <laughs> Although we really do have to give like props to a little asshole 12 year old that got to hang out with a 19 year old because you know that kid is cool as shit and probably does not have present parents. <laughs> oh, again, that just. The punctuation of that scene with that kid is just amazing. Um, it's so good. Bitches, man. <laughs> but the next scene I wanted to bring up is just once he has her out, she just gets in the car and she says along the lines of like, would it be bad if I wanted to go home early? He's like, nope, totally fine. Who says that? I liked his reaction, though. He wasn't like, oh, come on. It's going to be fun, you know? No, he's like, I'll, t- I'll do it. Like, he is great and she is horrible. She's horrible. <laughs> Like, it's not even, like, jealousy on my part. It's just, like, you are his guest. You agreed to go out with him. Why are you immediately, like, I want to go home early? Like, you're just nasty. (laughs) I guess I can't argue with that. Uh, She just used to, I don't want to say used to getting her way in, like, a nasty way. She just, like, she talks like that around her dad. And her dad's like, okay, sweetie. She's a priss. She was Ah. absolutely right. She's like, the kids think I'm a priss. I'm like, bitch, you are. You're a priss. (laughs) Like, the way she was like, he's like, I'm weirded out by old people. She's like, I think that's ageist. It's like, fuck you, Diane. Like, do you have to talk to him? Like, this is a fucking university lecture at all times. And that he's, like, enamored by every single thought. Because here's the deal. I was thinking this at the end. Those two do not stay together forever. Lloyd Dobler and Diane Court are not still together to this day. I'm sorry to say it, but they're not. So Cameron Crowe actually said this is the one film that he did envision them being together, having tribulations. But he recently said in an interview, he saw what like Linklater did with his Before series. And he's like, oh, I would uh-huh. have loved to do that with Say Anything. Like keep revisiting, you know, the trials and tribulations of this couple. But in your theory, they're done after this this trip to England, right? They're not done after the trip to England. They are not still together by, let's say, 30. No, they're not. You think this is a married and divorced couple? Oh, yeah, for sure. Maybe if they get married, maybe. But she... 
eventually starts to resent him and not considering him her intellectual equal and he she cheats on him with someone else no. and that, oh yeah of course she does don't cheat on lloyd dobler she did but guess what he goes back and he hooks up with Corey because that is a much better combination lloyd dobler and Corey lily taylor definitely it's weird that it's not weird it's just different that just back to this that we see that kind of friendship and i was totally waiting for like oh i don't love this dude i actually like you lloyd you know because they would just throw that shit in like 80s and 90s teen films oh yeah just for like stupid needless conflict yeah and it didn't happen here and i was so happy about it but they have better interests those two are more compatible diane court is just maybe he could have written her better and maybe like she could stop being such a weirdo who voiced every negative opinion that she felt she had to share because it was precious, but I don't think so. So I'll ask you this question. Why do you think he is into Diane Court? Everyone asks Diane, why Lloyd Dobler? Why Lloyd Dobler? Everywhere she goes. I'm going to ask you the reverse question. Why is he into her? This doesn't sound gross, but because of his sister, he likes strong, opinionated women because like we don't know how long he's been living with his sister. But it's been a while. I think he's comfortable with strong, smart, opinionated women, which is rare for most men. That's actually, you know, a pretty good take. And you can't can't complain about that. It's pretty cool. Right? I think he mentions, oh, she's pretty and she's smart. But this, I don't know. I, I think you're, you know, I think you're on to something there. I'm not as pessimistic as you about their future. But also, I don't like to ship my high school slumber party movie characters here. Because just the thought of people meeting so young and then not having any other options the rest of their life just always scares me so right <laughs> it's like there's very few couples i want to be together forever although adventures and babysitting i want them to have gotten married and have babies for sure you don't want like an adventures of babysitting spinoff where she's left whatever that dude's name is sorry and she's now with uh george newburn yeah george newburn and she's now with keith coogan you know <laughs> that really gross honestly that always grosses me out like the long shot that grossed me out (laughs) because i was a babysitter so like the idea (laughs) and like this is how i know men wrote that shit because any woman who's been a babysitter would be like that is gross (laughs) i hope thought of me dating a kid i babysat well considering we already spent two hours plus on adventures in babysitting (laughs) we'll we'll go back to say anything (laughs) i could spend two more The first, I mean, sorry, the scene I've been trying to get to is this early party scene, which is a crazy teen party. Uh, what do you think of, like, all the happenings that are going on at this Eric Stoltzish party? I always just, even at the time when I was 13, I always thought it was weird that a grown-ass man was throwing a party for graduating seniors. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Right? Like, I just remember graduating high school and being like, I never want to fucking hang out with high schoolers again. Like, ever. I had a problem with the Witterson character in Dazed and Confused as well. Like it's, I can, I just cannot find the empathy to put myself in the mindset that, like, yeah, I would have a bunch of trashed eighteen-year-olds at my house. But I think the Wooderson character, like, that's part of it. I don't think. I think there's an ickiness factor there. I don't know if that was trying to be done here, but I definitely think there's an ickiness factor there. I did like how he was the keymaster, Lloyd, at this party. Very responsible. But we never. Did you have key masters at your party? No, I've never heard of that. No, me neither. We did like and we, we. I grew up in a place where you had to drive, so like, yeah, that was not true to life in my experience. Honestly, I think this is probably a good idea still for. I mean, in pre-COVID times, still parties I attended. Like, right? You never even see that. I've never. I've seen it on TV, but 
again, responsible idea here. And I liked they had like a sack for the keys. And at the end of the night, you just got to find everyone. And that's when they – who was the last person who needed the key? No, they found the key. Oh, oh yes. They were looking for the person, right? Yeah, that was Barbara Streisand's kid. Yes, yes, of course, Gould. Oh, okay. So that's why I wanted to bring it up. I love the wild goose chase they do to just try to find his home. It's so it's so like asinine, oh, yeah. but whatever. Like just <laughs> <They're> stupid. <laughs> so one of my earliest memories of watching this movie is I was watching it with my oldest brother because I just watched this movie constantly. So if you wanted to watch TV, you had to watch a movie I was watching. <laughs> and I still remember him because he was probably. In 97, Nick was 18. So I still remember him being like, I would never drink a beer if I had to drive a girl home after, like, because he's like, I'm done being key master. Give me a beer. And my brother's like, You shouldn't do that, Kate. Ooh, and that has know. always stayed with me. But I think he was trying to be a controlling older, older brother, to be honest. I'm <laughs> sure he would have had a beer, although maybe not. He was kind of uptight in high school. <laughs> First, ripping your friends, now ripping your family. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, like the family shit I've ripped on before. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, though, I did find that interesting, too, right? When he just grabs the beer and he's like, you know, now I'll have a beer like to celebrate. It's like, what's the point at that, <laughs> at that point, ma'am? But whatever. Yeah, it's like 2 a.m. Like you don't need the party buzz anymore. The party's over. <laughs> I, I, I like to think, though, that like part of the wild goose chase is just like them trying to just get to know each other and extending the night Uh, otherwise it's just really silly to look everywhere for this guy's home uh, including like going to downtown seattle and back for where like where he probably i would just have him crash was there a reason why he didn't crash at that guy's place i think because all the beds were full and they probably didn't realize they didn't know where he lived until they got him in the car and by that point you're not going back to the drunk asshole's house right (laughs) But either way, very good high school party in my mind. Wait, this is the party that B.B. Newworth shows up at? Yes. Okay. There's, it's only one party. I'm just checking. <laughs> I never say anything like expert. That's why you're here. Yeah. So, I know, right? <laughs> so that's interesting. Um, and she again, she's just so good at what she does. But I was going to mention, too, that this is the party. Well, like you said, there's only one party. But this is the party where, <laughs> where Corey... They, we, they talk about her like 65 songs for that one dude, Joe, I think his name is. I love that. Oh, I love her music. Right? Like, I'm intrigued. Like, in the future, when movies are going to be different things where we could just click different characters and go off into their story and leave our story, I would definitely like click. Like, I want to see more of this. Uh, I want to see more of Corey's story here. And these songs, oh, yeah. these songs are so great. And this dude's such an asshole. But. Whenever when they like reconnect, she's just like, first she's saying, "I can't stand this guy, I can't stand this guy." I just love when she's like, "I love you, I love you too." I'm gonna leave her again. Just that typical, yeah, dude bullshit. But you know what I like about this movie that we did bring up in Adventures in Babysitting is how it's not all about what college are you going to, right? Like it seems like a lot of the people in this movie aren't going to college after this and are allowed the grace to like figure their shit out. Yes, much much nicer than. Most films and the real world, frankly. Oh, yeah. I, I can't remember. So I graduated in 02. I cannot remember people who didn't go to college. Like, it was just expected of you. You were going to college. And that's only a change of, like, shit, 13 years from this movie. And, you know, we can debate till the cows. Not that we would debate each other, but we could talk about till the cows come home about what's better or worse. But it's certainly... I 
think of the person I was at that time and making major life decisions, which I had to. And I'm like, wow, (laughs) I need a little bit more time to digest. That's for sure. That not everyone, some people are good at that, but I definitely needed a little bit more time. I'm just of the opinion college doesn't need to be for everybody. Yeah, I am definitely, well, I would say like most of my life I've been of that opinion or most of my adult life for sure. But like not to get political, but now you see like the demographics of people who went to college and people who didn't and they're voting preferences and then i'm like maybe there needs to be something that i'm not even aware of that needs to be like i don't know maybe everyone needs some kind of extended education but it doesn't have to be necessarily the college system i mean i just think that's just get out of your hometown yeah that's more than anything else like maybe you should be forced you know i'm a big believer that you should travel around and like figure out where you want to live and maybe it is your hometown because a lot of people's hometowns are great but like yeah i'm I'm all for that australian model you see them are like everywhere in the world because they're like yeah let me travel first and then i'll figure it out after that yeah but australia is not the good example because they're pretty racist over there too (laughs) that's a pretty conservative country Fair, fair, but I mean, maybe that experiment doesn't work, but it'll work for us, goddammit. Something needs to change for us. Maybe we need to go back to the, well, we don't want to go back to the 80s and Reagan off and on. <laughs> we're getting real off base here. And depressed. <laughs> and depressed. Right? <laughs> back to say anything. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, you're right. There's the person who has, I guess, pressure is uh, Diane, but she already kind of knows what she's doing. The pressure is more like if she actually does I don't know. What do you think her pressure is? Like, she said she has to study. I'm not sure for what. I think the pressure is this false pressure her dad puts on her. Mm, For sure. To be fair to Diane, I don't know what makes her special or smarter than anybody else. We don't ever (laughs) see her. And I don't mean that meanly. I have a feeling in my life I've encountered people who are considered smart and genius because they just work fucking harder than everybody else. Like, uh, Liv Tyler at Empire Records. Like, she's so good at her grades and all that because she's chomping speed pills and is really fucked up versus people who are just naturally intellectually gifted. I would say that Diane Court probably has some of the natural giftedness, but I have a feeling her dad just worked her to the bone. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good theory, right? Like, especially after he, for lack of a better word, won her over in a court case, right? Like at that point, it sounds so like fucked up, but she's kind of like his project. A thousand percent. Because he likes to collect nice things. He even says it himself. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) She's the ultimate collection, right? And she's also a great tax funnel. They can be like, well, I've sacrificed so much and gave everything for her. So it's like his own, like, fucked up moral judgment that it's okay to steal from old people because (laughs) I'm doing it for my daughter as opposed to I'm just a greedy bastard. And and I think that's awesome, though, because, you know, they say, like, no, like, villain thinks they're, like, actually the villain. And maybe that's not 100% true. But this dude definitely rationalized, even though he's done evil, evil things. And I, again, I'm going to agree with Cameron Crowe. I like that he ends up being a bad guy because if we were talking about her relationship with her dad and we were like, oh, but it's supposed to be like cute that he's protective of her. And in the end, he accepts Lloyd and it is what it is and everything. They go on and be happy. Then, you know, there's no like payoff for me of this creepiness that is going on throughout it. A thousand percent. And also, if you, it sort of makes sense because you see her mom and her mom's a piece of shit, too, but she's hot. So it sounds like he collected the mom as a pretty possession. He couldn't keep her. And so he made sure to make Diane his little show pony. She's even called a show pony by Corey at one No, by the boys at one point. Yeah. Wow. And I like just back to the mom quick when she has that quick meeting to convince 
like, oh, don't say anything bad about dad. The mom kind of warns her, like, he, she's done bad sh- yeah. shit before. But the movie's, I think, either, you know, done well in a sense that if you're a first-time watcher, you don't necessarily believe her because she seems like not the greatest person. So Exactly. Exactly. Who left her daughter behind to deal with the monster man. Yeah, and just like in the American court system, generally, like, the mother usually wins a, a custody battle. Yep. So I'm not sure what happened there. She Again, she was given permission to choose, but I know that doesn't happen just for, like, the judge doesn't go in and just say willy-nilly, all right, little girl, choose who you want to go with. Like, something has to happen for it to get to that. Well, especially full-time custody, yes. too. She's not even, like, half-half. Yeah, she doesn't even see her mom. Like, her mom didn't even come to graduation. So it's, like, it's a combination of the mom being a shitty person, but also something weird happened there. Maybe the dad was even manipulative. You know, maybe the mom well, sure. wasn't always a shitty person, but manipulated her and and then, you know, manipulated the system here. Who knows? But there's, again, there's what's good about this movie is there's so many layers that can be explored, aside from the Lloyd Dobler story. But Lloyd Dobler story is cool, too. Yeah, I would say that she's probably a shitty person because she can't even be alone with her daughter for 10 minutes without having her, her husband come That's a really good to point. eat with them. That's a really like, good point. It's like, I always just like, really, bitch, you couldn't be alone for like 10 minutes, like a, a meal with your daughter. <laughs> you know she doesn't like this guy. You're like, your mouth always frowns when you see him. Like, come on. It's true. It's true. At this point in the movie, like I'm, I'm like struggling to think of scenes because more of like stuff is is. It's not that there's a lot happening. There's like a lot of cutesy moments. Oh, we didn't talk about their their first intimate scene. Ah, oh, that was such a big deal for me when I was 13. Like I didn't. I was a controlling kid even back then, so I couldn't like rewind the scene all the time. I would get really excited. I probably <laughs> watched the movie just to watch that scene. So I'm like, this is what it's gonna be like. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so Fast Times has like Phoebe Cates taking her top off by a pool that like the boys wanted to see. Like the <laughs> the next Oh yeah. Forget about the wildlife. The next Cameron Crowe film, this is the scene for you. I, I was just like, "Oh my god, it's so intimate." It's truly like an intimate scene and then like he's shaking, he's so excited he finally gets to be with her. It really is like preteen like I don't know. That was that was a big monumental scene for me growing up. I wrote down that you never in fi- maybe maybe today I don't know, but like f- for most of the history of film, you never see the guy being nervous and that being Ever. not played off for like oh he's nervous, you know? Yeah. Because this is like this is the rare movie that's written by a man that doesn't feel like it was written by a man. Truly, like this could have been written by a woman just because that's. He's allowed to have weakness. He's allowed to have emotions. And it's like you said, it's never played for like, look at this loser. You know? (laughs) I was almost waiting for it. Like in this scene, like, is there going to be like some funny gag that like, oh, you know. Right. But it didn't. Like the condom breaks, like a better off dead type of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's just like, it's such like a nice tender thing, like a a car on the beach. (laughs) Like, you know. I don't want to say what more could you ask for because you can ask for anything you want out there. But I mean, I would like the Cullens to show up because this is near Forks, Washington. I wasn't going to bring it up, but Pacific Northwest movies in you. Jeez. It's... I know, right? Because honestly, because there's nothing that looks like where I grew up, but that looks well, there's nothing that, as far as I know, takes place in Alaska that's not like a Robin Williams, I'm going to murder you movie, or John Cusack, I'm going to murder you movie. So, Mystery Alaska? Like that was filmed in Canada. Oh, but it still takes place in Alaska. Yeah, but that doesn't count if they're filmed in Canada. Okay, fine. 
We thought we're made in Alaska. We're the John Cusack, Nicolas Cage, um, Robert Hansen movie, which a lot of that place was filmed in my hometown and I recognize. Then there was the Robin Williams Insomnia movie, which was filmed on the Juno. And then there was the big miracle about the, the whale. But by the way, in the 90s, like when I was into this movie, none of those movies have been filmed yet, except for the Steven Seagal one. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, I'm looking it up now. Like there was a big, uh, yeah. They gave a lot of tax breaks in like the 2010s, which is when I was so mad that John Cusack came. Just a side note, I was so furious John Cusack was in Anchorage in the late 2010s because had he come when I was there in the 90s, I guarantee you I would have made my brother, my, like, <laughs> my friend's older siblings, my parents drive me around to meet him. And it would have been horrible because he would have been like, why is this 13-year-old girl costing me chain smoking? Like, he would have been like, fuck you. I don't want to talk about saying anything. <laughs> so maybe it's for the best. But I'm still really upset that he came 10 years after I moved. Ooh, cross paths almost, but just a decade <sighs> too late. I know. Maybe that's your I film. Know. Oh, I love John Cusack. What were we talking? Sorry, I, just... I, I assume say anything at some point. Um, oh, that's just the the, the sex scene. Oh, it's so good. And then she has to ruin it by telling her fucking dad. Yes. He's so much more normal. Do you think he came home and told his sister? No. No. He, later in the movie, he's like, "You told your dad," and he's like, weirded out for a lot of reasons about it. I don't think anyone sleeps with someone and wants that person to tell their dad about it immediately. immediately and i know he's pressing her but like he's definitely not pressing her for like graphic details yeah and the way she's telling it too like i know he kind of wanted it but i wasn't gonna do it but i did it and like she's not even telling like what does she say at the end that really bothered me she's like and something along the lines of like it makes it better that i can tell you all about it right now But you, do you know what kind of, it's like, he's such a controlling asshole. He got her a car that was a stick shift, knowing he couldn't, she couldn't drive it, too. Because that's what predicated going to Bone Town. Oh, yeah. Good catch. That's a good point. It's like this dad is so fucking controlling. Like, he's created an atmosphere where she tells him these things without understanding. It is so inappropriate to share all that shit with your dad. If that was me, I'd be like, Ugh. like the dad, the dad, I'd be like, I did some things wrong here. Tax evasion aside. Really? You know, it's nice that she has this relationship with me, but something might be happening that's not good. <laughs> I am 35 years old, and my dad would fully expect me to not be a virgin at this point, but I guarantee you he would never ask me questions No, about no. And, right? and I, look, I don't know your dad from anyone, but I'm sure if you just started to- Ew, I don't want to talking like this, it. like I'm sure he would probably walk away or be like, no, thank you, or say something along those lines. This is not- He would get mad at me. He would get mad at me. He'd call me Kevin and tell me that he never wants to hear me talk about that again and then he probably wouldn't be able to look me in the eye for a couple of days <laughs> that's normal right and well i know like now zoomers are like oh like we have to be more open and destigmatize sex but i'm sorry i'm solidly an early millennial if not a very late tail gen xer based on like where i grew up in my birth year so like fuck it you don't talk about this shit you keep that to yourself <laughs> let's roll with the whole we're destigmatizing sex and talking about it with our parents, which is weird. But <laughs> you still, if you did all that, maybe you say, maybe you say all that first part, which is again still weird. But then to you spend the night with him and you go to bed, yeah, right? Maybe the dad asks, "Are you okay? Is everything okay?" And she's like, "Yup, it was great," you know. But ew, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, I know that's even weird. Trust me, that's even weird. I don't talk to my parents like that at all. But maybe future generations will do that. I really doubt they'd say. 
and it and it made it better because I get I got to tell you. block these parts of this movie out because they squick me out so much but even okay even a friend if a friend was talking to you about something which is that's you know probably more comfortable with a friend and then they ended it by saying that i'd be like what (laughs) i would only say that if something was weird and they validated yeah that's weird and like oh i feel better now that i told you because i now i know it's not just okay yeah something like that like yeah or like i had sex with john cusack i'm so happy kate because i get to tell you that's like you know I would be so mad if you had Chuck. I'd be so jealous, just just for the record. I'd be like, fuck. <laughs> I would be happy for you if that's what well, you wanted I'm to do not. with your life. <laughs> that is not my goal, John Cusack. That's not the reason you blocked me. <laughs> to be fair, I want to make it clear. Everybody, regardless of sexual orientation, should, uh, like, on some level, have a goal to have sex with John Cusack. If you had a time machine to go back to, like, between 89 and 97, where he's at peak, like, hot Cusack, I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not going to make any dumb hot tub time machine joke, but I'm sure a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people, well, I don't, let's not get into this, because, you know. I know. We're already, like, on 90 minutes in. But there's not, honestly, there's not. Well, I'll ask you, like, between now, they have sex, right? And then they have, like, that breakup. Like, is there anything between this and the boombox scene that you want to talk about? Uh, the whole, I'm going to break up with you out of the blue because, it, like, that is, it, she's such a piece of shit. <laughs> like, even the way she breaks up with him and gives him a fucking pen after he, like, poured his heart out after they, I don't know if he was a virgin. She definitely was. He might have been. I don't know. I don't think he was, to be honest. But after they, like, have this moment, he writes her a letter, and she basically throws it back in his face. Like, I gave her my heart. She gave me a pen. Like, ugh. The letter thing. I'm glad you brought that up. What were your thoughts on him writing her a letter after they made love on a beach? It's a little weird, but then again, this is 1989. You can't really text. Like, you can't call her without talking to the dad. Like, I get it. It's a weird relationship, right? Because she never gives him the official title of boyfriend. So, like, he doesn't necessarily feel like he has the right to call her or, like, be in her shit as much as, like, a boyfriend would, if that makes sense. Uh, yes, but they had hung out since the letter was sent. I don't know. I don't think so. The, the, the no, letter... they hadn't. No, because he asked her, hey, did you get my letter? Yeah, and she said, yeah, I got it two days ago. But he knew. I mean, they, they, like, they had... He could have hung out with her, I'm sure. It's a... The letter thing. He could have, but they didn't. The point is, is like, she even says when she's talking to her dad, like, we were just friends. That evolved into sex. Like, I didn't realize this until this watch, but like, there's no PDA up until she kisses him when he's trying to help her drive. And then they have sex that night. You're right. You're right. And even at the party, she's like, oh, he's checking up on me. But he's also like, which I liked, he's not smothering her at the party. Other people are talking to her, and she's not. He's not like fuck that person, or you know. No. Which is it's really nice he's to see. He's being a good host. Well, he's being a host. Like that kid has manners. Yeah. No, for sure. The one defense I'll say to like the letter, like I was like, come on, bro. But I think I probably did something. Not like in college, I probably did similar shit. And young okay. people, young people, they do different things than like. I think if someone in their thirties did that. It would kind of be weird. I disagree. I, it would be an email. It would be like, hey, like, I know this is a little weird because we're not really in a relationship, but I really value you. 
that is a totally inappropriate email to send. That's all that letter was. An email, though? Like, I feel like it's so formal. But if you're not dating, yeah. I think it's, a, I think it's a text now. Oh, I'd be a little pissed off as a text. Well, that's what like, we're talking. We're, we're talking writing etiquette, I suppose. <laughs> I think that, like, okay, they didn't have her. They were friends because she friend-zoned him. Then she made the move. Like, it's so many mixed fucking signals that this chick has been giving off all summer. And then he's just like, okay, well, I know the typical guy thing is just to, like, move on after I get the candy, for lack of a better term. So he's like, I want to make her know that, like, I still really care about her and this changes nothing for me. Because the other thing is, is I'm sure she's worried that she thinks that he thinks this is a relationship now. I Oh, I agree with that for sure. But if she ever had any doubt in her mind that he really cared about her that's like a little bit crazy she is a little bit crazy that kid lives in her head because her dad like has made her into a neurotic nut job you're not wrong you're not wrong i think she was a real piece of shit for getting that letter and then breaking up with him and giving him a pen and she like didn't rip the bandaid off so i have you ever been broken up with like out of the blue but it came like at an inappropriate time if that makes sense um no, not like I sound so douchey to say not personally, but I definitely know people who have. It makes sense. I, I I liked that aspect because it did feel realistic. Yeah, like I went to dinner with a guy I was seeing. He made me. This was when I still lived in LA. Made me drive out to the West Side, which took me like an hour and a half. We ordered food. We were in the middle of our entrees, and that's when he broke up with what? me. And I'm like, why the like? Come on, dude. Like you could have waited till the end, or you should have done it at the beginning. But to do it in the middle is weird. <laughs> How do you, and that's what she did to him. Yeah, no, definitely. And you see this a lot in movies. I, I'm sorry it happened in real life too. Oh, I was fine. Don't worry. <laughs> it's still like for me, I don't think that's a situation where you should. Again, they're young people, so whatever. They don't know everything. But yeah, fucked up. The pen thing. I know it's played to be fucked up too, but that's super fucked up. Like, there's nothing worse than the gift of a pen. I don't care how fancy the pen is. There's nothing worse than a parting gift and a breakup. Period. <laughs> like, it's weird. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Uh, but the pen is something that was really important to Cameron Crowe. He wanted—I don't know if it was specifically a pen. He said, like, originally he thought of it as a mixtape because everything's music and mixtapes to him, um, and then eventually oh. devolved into a pen because it's just so kind of meaningless and he definitely wanted the pen yeah pen yeah he wanted the pen to come back all the way through to the end which it does yeah a mixtape would have been like if someone gave me a mixtape and they broke up with me i'd throw it away but i'd understand it and i wouldn't be offended a pen is offensive yeah and you can't like i mean you can re-gift a mixtape but it's no that's way too personal mixtapes are like no oh i do feel bad for kids these days that they will never know the magic of a mixtape they make, like it's a playlist now. That it's just yeah. You even scolded me. I forgot what episode for having a mix CD. It's not the same because of the real mixtape. Sometimes you'd record yourself talking between like between tracks. Yeah, can't do that. Well, I suppose you can on a playlist, but it's just weird. But no one does. And like a CD can be like a four-hour like CD, like a mixtape. You have it like an hour, two if you record it with a crappy set. It's. Oh, mixtapes are so personal. I, I just, oh my God, I have such fun memories of mixtapes. This movie's prime, like, cassette tape era. Oh, yeah. Cassette tapes didn't really, for at least for my people, my first mix CD was 1999. Makes sense. So that, I should have known that was the end of an era, but like, mixtapes, we were get like, 
that's junior high, first year of high school. And then by like 2000, it was all CDs. It was all over. So, I mean, let's talk about the infamous, I guess you're not too much of a fan, but the infamous boombox scene. That is the one scene that now I'm in my 30s. I'm like, yay. (laughs) When I was 12, I was like, oh, that's so romantic. Now I'm like, like interrupting people's sleep dude and it's like weird to stand outside someone's house with a song you had sex to that's just awkward <laughs> you know i didn't put two and two together until maybe i have in the past i just didn't remember it but this is the first time i was really consciously being like wait they had sex to that film and now he's playing it outside or like hey i don't like the dad but like you know he's playing it outside the dad is aware of the sex. She probably told him in another scene yeah. what song was playing. A thousand percent she did. Like, it's spooky. It's gross. extra that's too much so originally this was supposed to be a billy idol song and then it was supposed to be a song by a band called fishbone oh, band. oh come on show some respect to fishbone oh, sorry. fishbone it was supposed to be a fishbone song thank you by the way that would have been a cusack insistence because he was really into ska that makes sense we get some ska in this film i was happy that's all cusack cusack's a huge fishbone fan or at least he was <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. So probably it was, this is my guess now, inferring from what you've told me, probably it was Billy Idol. And then Cusack was like, no, I want it to be Fishbone. But (laughs) Fishbone would not have been appropriate. You can't fuck to a Scott (laughs) song. I think he's wearing a Fishbone shirt at one point. So that makes sense. I'm sure he is. Yeah. (laughs) Eventually ends up being, you know, In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel. Cameron Crowe was like going through songs and he's like, this is the one. And there's like the funny fact about this is that the studio sent Peter Gabriel a copy of the film and be like, oh, can we can we get this in the movie? We really love the song. And he denied them because they they sent him the wrong film. They sent him a film called Wired from 1989. They sent him less than zero. So that's what it says on a lot of places. But Cameron Crowe on the DVD or someone on the DVD here says it's Wired. Okay. Because at the end, Robert Downey Jr. dies in Less Than Zero. Spoilers, guys. So I always thought it was funny that, like like you said, Robert Downey Jr. was considered for Lloyd Dobler when he dies in Less Than Zero. That's a better story. <laughs> Let's go with that. Because <laughs> Wired, I think, is like a... Yeah, it says, The ghosts of John Belushi looks back on his troubled life and career while journalist Bob Woodward researches Belushi's life. And, like, that's just weird, too. Either way, the, yeah. the note that... Peter Gabriel wrote back was like, uh, I don't want this film because the person dies in the end. So it's right either way. <laughs> but still, once he's like, no, wrong movie. He was like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. So yeah, iconic scene, maybe a little bit creepy looking back, maybe a little bit intrusive. I think it probably inspired too many teenage boys to do this and get yelled at by some 
teenage dads and maybe be a little bit too intrusive. I think so. I think it's happened. I don't know. I think the whole point of Lloyd Dobler is that he's a unicorn and most guys don't go out on a limb like that. Well, I don't think they live the whole Lloyd Dobler lifestyle, but I think certainly uh, they've tried it. Look, there is a school of thought here. There's a, there's a school of people, I guess we'll say, who hate Lloyd Dobler. They say that he's just like too needy and some people I've read online say that this is a film that glorifies like chasing after a girl after she's said no to you. Not everyone's on the Lloyd Dobler bandwagon. Some people need to lighten up. Like, have you never been broken up with out of the blue? It takes a minute to process it. And I'm sorry, I've been broken up with out of the blue. Not the, not the same story I just shared. I like, I sent a few text messages after the fact. Like, they were like, I'm really confused. He couldn't send text, so he had to go figure out a way to get closure some other way. Yeah, yeah. No, and I'm team Lloyd Dobler. Don't worry. But I think that some people oversimplify this film and break it down to this scene. Like some girl, oh, or it could be a guy and whatever, just breaks up with you. And then you're like, no, I'm stopping at nothing to to be with this person. And that's romantic to some. It's not to others. But I don't think that this movie is about that. Because as you said, the breakup is truly out of nowhere. Um, He at least thinks he's going to spend the rest of the summer with her. So it's not yeah. it's not something where he's being stalkerish. I think this this scene's a little stalkerish, but it's not a recurring theme throughout the movie. I guess is what I'm saying. Like Lloyd is not stalking her or making her feel uncomfortable or anything like that. For the most part, he's respecting her space. He's sad, but he's respecting her space. We will get to this like true stalkering when we talk about Valley Girl. This is not that. This is like let's not forget the heat had sex with her too and there was clearly an emotional connection like this is not a relationship that tapered off this is a relationship that abruptly ended with a cruel and callous like way yeah a hundred percent so you know for those naysayers i do not agree obviously you do not agree <laughs> she does i have a terrible thing like if i don't like you i don't see the good in you and so ergo your boundaries don't matter as much and i will admit that so all you out there looking to make a new friend of Kate Hudson. <laughs> I know. I'm really selling myself here today. <laughs> I mean, so between now and the ending, is there anything we wanted to talk about or just how this film kind of ends? I used to think it was really romantic the way that they slept in his twin bed when I was 12 and 13 as well. The end. <laughs> yeah. The dad gets busted. Turns out he was doing it. She's upset with him, rightfully so. She, you know, He even used her as an excuse for a lot of it, too. But he's been stealing from old people and evading his taxes. I mean, that I can't... You should pay your taxes, guys, but... They will always get you. They will... All the tax man will always get you. It's true. It's true. And I just think, though, like, what's more heartbreaking is, like, the stuff he's saying. Like, he, like, he stole from people's families, essentially. Um, at the old folks' home, and he's like, I take care of them more than their families. They kind of just dump them here. He might not be wrong, but it's still like, you don't do that. Like, that's not the service you're provided. And his daughter's completely betrayed, betrayed as she should be. And when you put yourself up on a pedestal like that, dad from Frasier, you, you know, it's you're going to crash down hard. And this is what happens. So when she runs away and goes to Lloyd, I'm glad it didn't feel like forced or like oh this is just the only guy i know i need to replace my father with this you know another dude in my life it didn't feel like that at all because again the breakup was basically because of the dad and his wishes so when she goes back to him it's more of a reconnection of what they had rather than like 
he's just a shoulder to cry on, which is nice because a lot of films don't do that. And he does ask, is this because you want me or you need a place to stay? Yeah, and, which is, again, it's aware of it too, which is super nice. And you're right, you know, we get our cute little moment in the bed like that. The living room. <laughs> Joan, Joan Cusack, she probably has a one bedroom. Like, bless her. Poor <laughs> Constance. She's the real hero of the movie, Constance. She really is. That woman has to put up with everything. And you know Lloyd Dobler was probably a real mopey piece of shit to be around during the breakup. 100%. 100%. Right? Like, she just had a moping teenager. Like, it was it just, she really deserves, like, something for this. Yeah, look, single mom, as we said, she's raising this kid. Not alone, she's Lloyd, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, alone. And she has to deal with a teenager now. <laughs> as well a moping teenager not even a helpful teenager because when you go through a breakup it's not like you want to watch a kid so that means her kid was probably upset and she's probably working like 50 hours a week too like oh poor joan yeah again the real hero if there's a real hero award it goes out to constance that's for <laughs> sure <laughs> uh, and her shitty parents pawned her brother off on her like it all sucks it does <laughs> so i mean we have kind of what is the real ending here? The prison? I know that's the plane. It's, it's the, the plane. It used to be my favorite ending of all time when the light dings on. Oh my God. I love that movie. But before it, we have uh, kind of the whole jail scene where uh, first it's just Lloyd and John Mahoney hmm. go, you know, talking to each other. And he's basically explaining, you know, what's been going on. And first he's like, I wasn't going to go with her. And like, you could tell the dad's happy. And I love it because he doesn't come around too much, which I think is awesome. Like, that's it's more realistic. And then when eventually he tells him that he is going with her, he's pissed off. Yeah, because in his mind, he justified all of this because he did it for her. And now she's just going to go be with some loser in his mind and waste all of her potential. So many movies would have been like, take care of my girl. I see you now. Like, everything is... Right? Like, and nope, nope. And when she comes up, she's still upset with him, ends up handing him the pen. You know, she's confused. She's got mixed emotions. And you're right. We don't see, we definitely see this more through Lloyd's eyes, no pun intended. But <laughs> we don't really get her full experience here of what she's going through. But we do see, the biggest glimpse of it is we see is in this scene. For sure. For sure. I just want to know what makes her a brain because we never see any of her interests ever. <laughs> is she a science brain? Is she just great with language? Is she like, math person like what makes her smart i don't know (laughs) that's a good question i think she's just overall i think it's what you said like the dad pushed her and she pushed herself because when she's having the conversation with one of the heathers about being valedictorian she's like you you know they're like you pushed me and i pushed you so she just might be a hard worker who maybe she doesn't have necessarily a specialty maybe she just studies her ass off i think that must be it i think that it must be like 20 percent like smartness and 80% 80% like chomping speed pills to stay up till 5 a.m. to do the project. Wouldn't shock me. Wouldn't shock me. Right? Maybe Lloyd will help her just like calm down. Maybe maybe they stay together because she burns out of that program because she's like, I don't want to push myself anymore. And they just, maybe that's, that's the only way I see them staying together. But they're not together. <laughs> it wouldn't shock me. You know, this is, she definitely, it definitely seems like the recipe, like once she's going to go off to the UK, let's say he wasn't with her. I'm not saying like, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But how long could she theoretically last even without that artificial support system created from her dad? Was he going to go with her? I'm sure he would have been over there a lot. Sure he would have. Yeah, they probably have And again, have how, could he, 
Like he's still from old people if he's in England, though. That's the most surprising thing, maybe, about this film, that, like, he was on board with that. Like, there wasn't, like, a tension, like, why don't you just go to the college down the road? Like, why don't you go to University of Washington and instead of going that far away from me? His hooks are in her pretty good. I think his influence would have been felt anywhere. Yeah, I guess he just, like, he you know, he knows he's the master and he doesn't even need that. He's, he's not even afraid of that. Because he's not, like, at the beginning, he's not, like, so anti-Lloyd, you know? He's not, like... What the fuck is a guy doing here? Because it's clear they date, too, unless he did that. Remember, he's like, is this guy with the Dotson is the, the Dodge Charger or whatever? Unless he did that to scare Lloyd off, it sounds like if we're taking him at face value, then she does date. Yeah. Yeah, no, it does seem like that. You're right. Like, she's depicted a lot. I shouldn't say depicted, but, like, in a lot of write-ups, she's called, like, a sheltered girl. And I know she definitely is from studying, but I don't. And, again, she, she could be a virgin. They don't really say if she is or isn't. But I don't get a sense that she doesn't go out at all like she again she might have possible she's gone on dates here or there she seems to have a a measuring stick of comparing lloyd to other guys right yeah but of course you know you said it it's this great plain ending with the the smoking sign ding and they play it out long i love the hat she's wearing the very blossom-esque hat (laughs) very of the times that's for sure yeah um so are you still a fan of this ending i love it i think it's honestly one of the best endings of all time It's like a big roller coaster. Everybody likes roller coasters, right? Blink twice if you're fine. I'm fine. Okay, good. It's all very normal. Very standard for a 747. All right, high-level airline safety tips. If anything happens, it usually happens in the first five minutes of the flight, right? Okay. So, when you hear that smoking sign go ding, you know everything's going to be okay. Good to know. All right, I'm just going to keep talking until that thing happens, which is going to be soon. Okay. All right, personalized flight kit from Corey. Books, sets, magazines, anything? Not right now, thanks. How's it going? <clears throat> Nobody thought we'd do this. Nobody really thinks it will work, do they? No. You just described every great success story. All right, sorry, sorry. I know. Where's the day? It's coming. Any second now. I agree. And, you know, maybe, again, maybe Cameron Crowe will write these sequels. Maybe he won't. I hope he does that. For me, it doesn't matter. (laughs) It's just that. Do you really want him to do this? Sorry. No, no, I don't. I don't. I don't like sequels like this. But I don't care really what happens after this. To me, like the story of their romance. It's perfect that it ends. Not, not that the romance ends. It's perfect that my view of it ends at this plane scene. Okay, so I have to ask you. Do you know when this interview happened? Was it pre or post his marriage breaking up with Nancy Wilson? Oh, no, because this is from the DVD. And if it's a 20-year release, I'm not sure. I think it might have been pre because I, I think they broke up within the last 10 years, right? Yeah, because I think that I think he thought that Lloyd and Diane were him and Nancy. 
That wouldn't shock me. Oh, no, I'm looking up, you know, my I have my tabs open now. No, he just said this recently. They got divorced in 2010 because that was right about the time that John Hughes died. So it was a bad time all around for 80s lovers. Yeah, that's a good point. Who knows? I mean, I can't find the article when it was. I mean, I'm not so convinced, though, that maybe in his head that they are still together necessarily. Like, maybe he's, he's – I know he's thinking of it as a trilogy. Maybe – he uh oh it is recently because it said that john cusack uh in the last two years because john cusack uh finally did like a q a and he responded to that q a but maybe like they're divorced in it you know maybe it's about their kids who knows i don't know ask cameron crow i don't see those two sticking together because their emotional iqs are so far off that like i don't see it working who knows <laughs> i don't know but again <laughs> do, i don't care really i i just love again how this ends and Perfect ding. Uh, yeah. So anything else you want to mention with uh, Say Anything? I don't know. I feel like I've said everything. <laughs> hey One more thing I wanted to talk about then, and that was the... Did I delete my notes in this process of oh. doing this? No. Very anti-Diane Court of you. That's, but that is very Lloyd Dobler of you. <laughs> yes. I guess I'm more of a Lloyd Dobler than Diane Court, and that's fine. You know, we haven't talked about his famous speech, which I used to have memorized. Which one was that? I don't want to buy anything or sell anything that's bought or buy anything that's sold. I don't want to sell anything that's Oh, sold. my God. That yes. Was. Yes. I was going to talk about it when he, you know, talking about him and John Mahoney. But yes, I love that speech. Thank you for bringing that up. So, Lloyd, you graduated Lakewood, right? Yes, sir. What are you going to do now? Yeah, Lloyd. What are your plans for the future? Spend as much time possible with Diane before uh, she leaves. Seriously, Lloyd. I'm totally and completely serious. No, really. You mean my career? Um, I don't know. I've uh, <clears throat> thought about this quite a bit, sir, and I, I would have to say, considering what's waiting out there for me, I don't want to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything as a career. I don't want to sell anything bought or processed, or buy anything sold or processed, or process anything sold, bought, or processed, or repair anything sold, bought, or processed. You know, as a career, I don't want to do that. So, uh, my father's in the Army. He wants me to join, but I can't work for that corporation. Um, so what I've been doing lately is kickboxing, which is a uh, new sport, but I think it's got a good future. As far as career longevity, I don't really know because, you know, you can't really tell. If you're eight and six as a fighter, you know, it's no good. You know, you have to be great. But I can't really tell if I'm great until I've had a couple of pro fights. But I haven't been knocked down yet. I don't know. I can't figure it all out tonight, sir. I'm just kind of hanging with your daughter. I think that's his best line in it. And I wonder if that is a Cusack or a Crow. It sounds like high fidelity. So I would not be surprised if it was a John Cusack thing. He is like a hardcore socialist for a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, that would not shock me at all if that was more like a... Whether, I don't know, improviser, just the way he's delivering it is... You feel like this is on, like, John Cusack's family crest. One of my favorite things about Lloyd, probably my favorite thing, is how, like, he doesn't try to impress anybody. The way, like, with his life, the way he talks. I love him for that. And he's not angsty about it. Like, he's angsty, but he's not, like, a dick about it, if that makes sense. Like, no, he, just... he has no guile. That's, like, the word for it. What is it? Sorry? 
guile. That's my English major coming out. Guile is like sly or cunning intelligence. Mm. That guy has no guile. Like he's just honest and like open and just like he's an open book. I love Lloyd. Yeah, he's great. I mean, again, we're team Lloyd here. If you're not, please let me know on social media. I get it, but Lloyd Dobler. Don't let me know. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Listen, I'm always down. My favorite thing is now I post about Twilight on Twitter so much that people will tag me in things, and they're always right because they always want to engage with Twilight Twitter. I do not want to engage with anti-Lloyd Dobler people. I just don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sure you might be great, but you're not my people. I'm glad you finally, though, have gotten the uh, Twilight faithful to... tag you and chat with you about stuff i see it every day now i I follow it sometimes i'll retweet it the conversation has sparked dialogue on twitter and i love it (laughs) my favorite thing not to go off on twilight but my favorite thing about twilight is how the last movie came out almost 10 years ago and every it seems like every couple of weeks there's a viral meme like hey wait a second did you guys ever notice this thing about twilight it's I just love it. It feels stronger now than it has in the last, like, at least five years. Because now it's gone to nostalgia. It's crossed that barrier. You're right. That's why we do Twilight Forever here. <laughs> well, well, let's not talk about Say Anything Forever. The, the one thing, <laughs> the one other thing I was going to mention here is the soundtrack. Oh, so good. Yeah, we already mentioned, obviously, the Peter Gabriel song, but what a... What were your thoughts on the soundtrack? So it's good. I love it in the movies. It's not a soundtrack I've ever listened to independent of the movies because the songs in the the movie are so tied to the movie. I don't want to listen to them without watching the movie, if that makes sense. I definitely agree with that. Again, big camera call Hallmark. I was actually looking up the physical soundtrack, though, and great music. I think I would listen to, you know, I, I would listen to it. I would like to own it. But it ends with something called Lloyd Dobler rap and John Cusack what? is credited as a musician. I could not find this anywhere. Like I can't like get a copy of this. So if anyone out there knows what the hell Lloyd Dobler rap is, it's 33 seconds long. I'm not exactly sure again what exactly it is, but yeah, please. What is this? <laughs> okay. I'm going to amend my previous statement. If you are someone who knows about the Lloyd Dobler rap, but are anti Lloyd Dobler, you are my people. And please let me know. I need to track this down because it has all the songs and I'm to. reading like, oh yeah, uh, the Nancy Wilson song, Cult of Personality, Living Color, Cheap Trick, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Depeche Mode, Fishbone. And then I'm like, John Cusack, Lloyd Dobler rap. And that's all that's known about it. There's not even a YouTube video streamed of it. Oh my God. Is it is the CD on eBay? I literally like discovered that right before starting to record with you. So I only was able to do like a 10 minute deep dive search. But the only thing I would say based on absolutely nothing is that rap is 33 seconds. That might be his speech at the dinner table. You think that counts as a rap though? They set it to a beat, yeah. <laughs> like they just set that to a beat? Maybe. All right, CDs. I'm seeing I'm looking it up right now. Would it be the C D or would it be um the LP because this is 89 oh okay so it is on both the CD and the LP and it is not a listed track if you if you play it throughout it's one of those like extra tracks that play like at the end if you just the end? yeah if you hear like some silence and apparently Lloyd Dobler rap plays after that it has to be I don't want to sell anything buy anything or sell anything that's bought or sold it has to be right I would think because what you really think John Cusack's gonna get in the studio for 33 seconds and rap like a verse Oh, no. A thousand percent if he was a drunk asshole 20-year-old who was just making up shit to be cast in the movie. Yeah, a thousand percent do. Well, there is one reading that way, right? Like where it's just him 
kind of just being like, yeah, I, I can rap. Dick. I can rap. I want to get on this album. If we're going to make this album, I want to be on it. It's like, all right. <laughs> I'm making it up that the, the boys are like beatboxing when he comes and sees them or ending. Or am I making that up? I'm confusing this with Teen Witch. That sound like I didn't remember that, but that sounds like it's true. <laughs> Like, I feel like they're, like, in a circle, like, beatboxing for a second. Maybe it's that. I don't know. But, again, if you have more information out there, let me know or let us know, I should say. Yeah, no, this is this. The, I need to know. I'm going to spend all afternoon getting a little drunk and looking for this. Just <laughs> if you find it, let me know. Well, you... I will. Oh, trust me. I, you, you have definitely been the receiver of some of my drunken Twitter DMs. <laughs> well, it's been good stuff. It's been 90% Twilight stuff. Right? Oh, and that's when I booked everybody. I was very trashed. <laughs> FYI. Well, the, yeah, the, the most famous and best time was, again, when you booked Charlie Talbert on the Fear episode. That was great. I was so drunk. I was so drunk. I thought you knew I was drunk. Well, no, I definitely knew. I mean, I assumed, we'll say. But <laughs> yeah, it ended up being great. So good things happen. So I'm not complaining. Charlie's great. That was like one of the few good things that come out of me being drunk and like, I'm going to make some connections. I'm going to solve a problem. (laughs) Usually it does not end well for my drunk asshole. (laughs) All good. I love it. It benefits me. (laughs) At least it's shown to benefit me at least most of the time. So far. Let's not test that theory though. (laughs) Let's get to awards though. You said this character was creepy, but he is the namesake of our first award, which is the Wooderson Award. And this is a character in the film, say anything that maybe you would have liked to see more of. You know, Linklater on Days and Confused had a couple scenes at McConaughey, added them because he wanted to see more of. Is there anyone in here who maybe wasn't the focus that you wish had more of a storyline? Our girl Constance. Constance, yeah. I mean, how, how could you argue with that? Joan Cusack is phenomenal. I, I can't name one movie that Joan Cusack is not perfection in. I agree. Working girl. Wait, this might, was Working Girl 88 or 89? Because this was like right when she got nominated. It's around the same era, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, no, I definitely would agree with that. But if you even said Corey, I would have agreed with that too, because she's interesting as well. A lot of interesting side characters here. So even uh, Barbara Streisand's son guy, <laughs> who knows? But they can't beat Constance. So we'll, we'll say Constance for that. Yeah, for sure. Long Duck Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission, whether it be in a 2020 lens or not, would make this film better? Anyone you would just delete from the film to streamline it for any reason? No, I think this is a pretty tight story, to be honest. What about you? Yeah, again, I'm struggling to find someone here because it doesn't seem like... I guess it's Cameron Crowe, but Cameron Crowe did a really good job of making every side character feel like they're earned and exist in this world. So, yeah, there's no one here who I'm just like, uh, what the fuck's, what, what the fuck are they doing here? So we'll put a zero for that. Okay, uh, Cameron Fry Award. Anyone look too old to be a high schooler? You know, I did notice that most, like, basically all the high schoolers looked age appropriate, even during the graduation party scenes. Yeah, nothing too crazy. Eric Stoltz is not a high schooler, right? Oh, no, he's just some weird 20-something okay. who holds a party for them every year. Yeah, so, like, I'm... I was pretty sure that was the case, but if you came around and said, no, he's actually in high school, I would have been like, whoa, okay. So Ew. so then no. Yeah, then I don't really have – I think this is casted very, very well. I'd have to go back and see if there's, like, someone in the background. But they all look, again, pretty age-appropriate, except Eric Stoltz. I mean, he might just get the award just for throwing the party, even though he's not a high schooler. Yeah, it's weird. He's more weird, arguably, than the teacher coming. I think it's both weird. <laughs> Teachers never came to our parties, man. Why would they? They shouldn't. Let's keep it that way. Right? Let's keep it that way. Seriously. 
So I, I like this movie. You really like this movie. I was kind of surprised, though, how much love um, the critics gave this movie on the old Rotten Tomatoes. This is a 98% critically acclaimed film on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, I'm not surprised. Every fucking film critic thinks they're their own hero, their own story. <laughs> they're Lloyd Dobler. Fair, fair. 85% by the audience, still good. Uh, but Kate Hudson, we don't care about Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, no. We grade things on an A plus to F scale here in High School Slumber Party. So what will you grade? Say anything. Oh, this is an A or an A plus movie for me. It, it has to be A plus just because of how deeply entrenched it is to my own like adolescence. So you can hate Diane, but still give it an A plus? That's a show of a well-written film. Yeah, Diane's such a drip. But like, would I like her more if she was more likable? I don't know. Because like, Boy Dobler is perfection, so I feel like maybe nobody's worthy of Boy Dobler unless it's me. And I think a lot of women. Well, we like you laugh, but I feel like maybe a lot of women do feel like that, and maybe, maybe. it's a, maybe it's for the better. That Diane's kind of like drip and a press, as opposed to like really likable. That's a good point. I didn't think about that way, but I think that's a good point. <laughs> I'm going to give the film an A. I actually was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed it on this watch. I think it's so well written maybe it's not for everyone but it's got iconic moments it's got some really good music it's just a fun movie i want to know what your mom would read it if you got your mom to watch this now would she come around to it um i think a little bit more i think there's more of a nostalgia factor now so i think seeing some of these actors then she would appreciate that but i guarantee she still would not like john cusack he's like oh he's just whining he's you know? I've never heard someone who like hates John Cusack irrationally. Uh, she's one of them. I mean, I don't know if it's irrational. You were you were saying it. <laughs> well, she wasn't wrong about those things before. Maybe your mom just was picking up what he was laying down, before, and he just hides it better. Maybe your mom's just like really intuitive. Honestly, in a weird way, she has been right about a lot of these things when it comes to these Hollywood stars. Like before things have come out, she'll like be like, "There's something about that guy I don't like." But to be fair, sorry, most of Hollywood, but most like Hollywood guys of a certain era were pretty bad people. So I don't think maybe I think she's just more, you know, aware of that than, <laughs> than just being accurately predicting. I mean, she never said anything bad about Tom Hanks or anything like that. But I've never heard anything bad about Tom Hanks. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, John Cusack, she was not a fan. She has a list. We'll put it that way. But anyway. <laughs> Uh, so we both A plus and A there. Sleeping bag. What does your say anything sleeping bag look like? This question always catch me off guard. It's like I don't do my homework for this ever. I think you've done like this is your like eleventh episode of the year, and you're still. I know, and it's always like, oh, I forget that you asked these questions, and I never come prepared for a good answer. <laughs> so my my sleeping bag is going to be a box of De- Bavarian Dutch cell pretzels because it's going to be a deep cut, but that's the weird pretzels he keeps in his car. Yeah. I keep food in my car to eat, too. Like, everyone needs a snack. I have cinnamon jelly bellies, so. That's cool. That was a weird fact on the DVD. It was like, pretzels were invented by monks in this. And I was like, what? Because, <laughs> the, yeah, the Blu-ray had, like, facts in the bottom. And I was like, okay. So that's why I realized the pretzel thing. <laughs> you didn't answer yours. Oh, I don't always answer sleeping bag, but I'll say it. Let's see. If I'm going to have a say anything sleeping bag, <sighs> this is tough. Because the boombox is way too obvious. Too on the nose, yeah. And a car would be creepy. Like, mine has a car. They have sex in it. <laughs> this is kind of creepy. And you've done this before, but I was going to bring up another trench coat film, huh? Yeah, 
I guess so. So maybe I'm just going to go with your old standby, the uh, the late 80s trench coat <laughs> sleeping bag. I think I read somewhere that that was his coat. Yeah, I was too. just going to say, that's in like the IMDb facts, that like that's, his, that's actually his coat. And he pretty much wore his own clothes on set, which, of course. You, you could tell because that one class shirt was stained brown with sweat when he's working out. That's hilarious. <laughs> what band did you say he liked? Fishbone? Fishbone. Fishbone he yeah. loved Fishbone. And if he's wearing a Fishbone shirt, again, probably his. Yeah, it's just like Molly Ringwald was obsessed with the rave-ups, and that's why they made such an appearance in Pretty and Pink. When you have Ringwald Cusack power in the 80s, <sighs> you use it. My favorites. I love those two. I love them. They've never been, they were never in a movie yeah. where they, wait, I was going to say where they're like, really playing off each other like because obviously he's in 16 candles i was about to say you brian come on 16 candles the godfather don't you dare oh i know <laughs> i i wish it would have been interesting to see them like in their prime right co-starring together not to keep shitting on cusack but i imagine that he was too much of an asshole for molly ringwald arguably the queen of the 80s <laughs> maybe probably wouldn't shock me <laughs> put it that way. I, she would not have put up with his like shit okay kate last question if you and I are in a magical time machine that takes us to this blockbuster that defies time, space, logic, whatever, we know we're having our slumber party and we know we're watching Say Anything. But I get to the counter or we get to the counter and we see there's a sign and it says, rent two movies, get one free. And we're like, we're going to do this slumber party with the three films. We're doing it. We know we're watching Say Anything. And I say, Kate, go to the back get two other movies. I need to save our place in line. What two other movies are you bringing back? Okay, so I need to tell you that I used to specifically have sleepovers for John Cusack parties, and we call them <laughs> Cusackathons. I'm not even kidding. Oh, I don't know perfect. How this has, I don't know how this hasn't come up until now. Love so, it. Love it. So Say Anything was definitely on there. I've already used the Sure Thing recently as one of my movies, but that was always in rotation. So I'd probably go 16 Candles, because the thing is, you want to get Cusack in his early, early days before you transition him to like teen leading man. And then you want to end the night with him as a hot grown up. So like I would probably do 16 candles and then I go, okay, no, realistically I go Con Air, but I've basically been unofficially, <laughs> I've been unofficially banned from using Con Air as my movie. So I'm going to go with gross point blank, but really you'd probably have one or two more movies in there as well. All right. That's cool. There's a group of women who grew up in Anchorage, Alaska in the mid 90s that were my friends that now inexplicably have way too in-depth of a knowledge of John Cusack (laughs) credits from the 80s up until like 1998. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm glad we ended on that note. I'm really shocked it hasn't come up before this, but... Seriously, I still remember making them all come in a blizzard to come see Anastasia on opening <laughs> night and then going back to my house to watch more John Cusack movies. <laughs> they were called Cusackathons. I would make invitations. Cusackathons, yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's only like I was going to say, oh, it's a cool podcast, but then once you get to like now, it's depressing. I saw one of those movies where it takes place in Australia with like Thomas Jane or Aaron Eckhart. I get those two confused. And like he's a carjacker. It it was real bad because a guy, he's a hardcore chain smoker and he does not whiten his teeth, or at least he didn't. These were like stained tobacco brown. And it was just a bad movie. Maybe it was for the character. Oh, that's John Cusack being John Cusack. Well, Kate, as always, this was a pleasure. Thank you for stopping by for Say Anything. I mean, I'm not surprised we ran long, but we, we went to, 
we went to the nitty gritty with this one. Uh, you still have some. You still have one Hudson Five movie to do. You still have some Twilight films to do before the end of the year. So don't forget, I already messaged you that we have to do the John Hughes, uh, not John Hughes, John Waters High School oeuvre as well. Yes, you've booked yourself on some John Waters films. I think you booked yourself on a random Keith Coogan film that neither of us have seen. You'll be back. Is my point? Oh well, yeah, no, and I'll be like at some point until. The podcast network steps in these will be four hour episodes and no, <laughs> and no one will want to listen whatever we have a good time i hope you listeners exactly. have a good time listen to part of it if you can't break it up into chunks throughout the week <laughs> do what you gotta do and as always you can engage with me on say anything discourse as long as you're pro low dabbler on twitter of course that that's at hudson kate right uh, just wait till i launch my weird celebrity gossip site in a few months in a few weeks who knows i may never do it who knows well, we want it to happen, so. <laughs> I did get a logo made already, so, like, it's more likely than not. That's that's step one. Can't wait to hear about it, definitely. <laughs> when it launches, we want to hear all about it. Oh, you will. Don't worry. It's really weird. It's, <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can't wait. All right, Kate. Appreciate it. Thanks. Talk to you soon. The always entertaining Kate Hudson. Big thank you to her. We'll actually be talking to her fairly soon because... We got a lot of movies to do, as discussed here, and I really can't wait. It's always a blast talking to Kate, that's for sure. So, Kate, thank you so much for always coming on High School Slumber Party. So, I've kept you a long time. We've kept you a long time. I hope it was entertaining, but I'm going to try to get you out of here pretty fast, get you curled into those sleeping bags, hitting the hay, catching those sheep, or what do they call Counting sheep, right? Catching Zs, who the hell knows? <laughs> so let's talk about your homework for next week. And that's to watch a Netflix film, a new Netflix film. Well, it's a sequel. It's The Babysitter 2, The Babysitter, Killer Queen. Growing up is worse than a near-death experience. I can confidently tell you that because two years ago, my babysitter and her friends tried to kill me. The worst part is nobody believes me. And now, everybody thinks I'm crazy, but I miss her. You're a weird little dude with a crush on a murderous, fictitious babysitter. We just gotta get you laid. That's your advice? That's what the f*** just came out of my mouth, ain't it? Nicole, you're my best friend. You're not crazy. It's this place. We're all going to the lake this weekend. Just come with me. I already took my dad's car. It's just you and me. We're back! Oh, let's go, Cole! Oh, you okay? You look like you've seen a gorgeous black ghost. Don't worry, guys. I'm good. Where's Sonya? Getting cookies. I watched you all die! We are dead. Duh! Clearly, you guys are into some heavy cosplay. Just leave it be. Ow! Oh, yes! shit! Oh, no! It's all gonna get dumb again! Update me on the Psycho Breakfast Club. Basically, they're a blood cult, and they made a deal with the devil. And they only have three hours to complete the ritual. We could hide out till sunrise. We finish this, we have to go back down to limbo. Love you, Cole. Oh, I finally found my dick, Cole! Oh. 
Could this night get any more erotic? Hey, Coley. You're my kill of the night. I get killed first. That's some post-Jordan Peele era horror movie progress. And this one kind of came out of nowhere. Of course, we talked about The Babysitter, the first one, with Joey Lewandowski at the conclusion of our babysitting series this summer. And we were like, oh, I hear there's going to be a sequel. There might be a sequel. Boom. Weeks later, hey, there's a sequel coming out. Boom. And it's coming out in like two weeks. We're like, what? You know, pandemic creates such weird, weird situations. By the way, I haven't forgot about you, my healthcare heroes. Shout out to you as well. But yeah, Babysitter 2. This Friday with Joey Lewandowski. Can't wait. Check it out on Netflix. That's your homework. And of course, social media. It's an important part of your grade. Class participation. It's a huge part. Hit us up there. Check out all the other great shows on the Cage Club podcast network. That's cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And remember that life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. So let me leave you with Nancy Wilson, the ex-wife of Cameron Crowe, but wife at the time of Say Anything. She, of course, had the lead single in the credits for Say Anything, and the song is called All for Love. Later, dudes! still here? It's over. Go home. Go.